Marshall here. Welcome back to The Realignment. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Very busy week with a really momentous and surprising midterm result. In lieu of a discussion episode today because I'm on the road in DC and honestly, there's so much to react to with the elections. So I think it'd be best to just wait until next week. We're gonna post our live Breaking Points coverage of the election as it went on. Obviously, parts of it are gonna be a little dated, aka our reaction to specific numbers, but as we like to do with Breaking Points, the realignment, Crystal Cowan, friends, all of our shows, there's a lot of political commentary and kind of deeper policy-centric ideas here. So just to do a rundown for those of you who do not listen to Breaking Points, this is Sagar, myself, obviously, Sagar's co-host, Crystal Ball, and Crystal Ball's co-host, Kyle Kalinske, talking about the midterms. We'll be back next week with an actual discussion once we have all the results back. I'll also point out that we're going to not only offer a updated discussion episode next week, but we'd love to open up the Q&A process on this show to everybody. So instead of just Supercast subscribers, if you would like to ask us a question and offer a comment on the midterm results, you can subscribe to the Supercast. That's obviously the preferred version, but you can also go to our Substack, leave a comment, reply on Friday, or you can email us at realignmentpod at gmail.com. Hope you all enjoy this conversation and would love to hear follow-up so it can drive next week's Q&A episode and the discussion. Everybody, welcome to our election live stream. We have an amazing show for all of you today, as you can all see. I hope this is working, Crystal. So, what do we have yes, today? Indeed, we <laughs> yeah. do. A few things to talk about. There will be results, of course, coming in all night. We'll be doing our analysis here with Marshall yep. and with Kyle. We have the Counterpoints crew, Ryan and Emily, coming in later. So, we're very excited about that. We have reporters on the ground from Status Quo, both with Team Oz in Pennsylvania and also with Team Fetterman in Pennsylvania. We've got great uh, election like data geek analysis. Analysis from J. Miles Coleman. Mm -hmm. Later on, so we're going to be tracking all of those things and more. Before we get to any of that, though, I have the biggest announcement of the night, which is that... For those of you watching this live stream, handing out a little bit of a discount. That's the right. Premium subscription. We've got the 10% off on the premium subscription. Uh, it's the last time you'll hear it. I promise. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, guys, this is all made possible because of our premium subs, many of whom are watching right now. What Crystal just described, people on the ground uh, having our full control room back there, Marshall, Kyle, the CounterPoints crew. It costs a lot of money. And so as we gear up, not only for this, but for the future and given the imminent possible Trump announcement, if you can help us build up, it really, really helps us out so much. There's a link in the chat and also in the description of this video, 10% off on the annual, which just helps us so much um, in terms of planning. So thank you all so much to the existing ones who are watching, and the link is there for those of you who have the kindness in your hearts. But with that, why don't we kick it off? What do we know? Um, all right. So first, we are already getting some results out of Indiana and Kentucky. Their polls closed at six. There aren't really many competitive races there, so there isn't a lot to read into those results just yet. But... Right now, 7 p.m., there are some key states that's polls whose polls just closed, including Georgia, huh. um, also Virginia, which does have doesn't have any statewide races, but does have some like key bellwether races, mm -hmm. including the district that uh, Kyle and I live in at this point. Right, so yeah. Abigail Spanberger, that one. Um, so we'll be keeping a close eye there. 7:30, we get 
all of North Carolina, Ohio, West Virginia, parts of New Hampshire. So you can see right away we'll be starting to get some election results in that will start to tell us what the night is going to look like. 8 p.m. you get a whole slew of states, including Florida, including uh, Pennsylvania is at 8. You've got Texas at 8. You've got New Jersey, Kansas, and Michigan, a whole lot others also closing at 8. Then at 8.30, you get all of Arkansas. I know a lot of folks out there really waiting on those Arkansas results with bated breath. <laughs> uh, 9 p.m. No offense, Arkansas. Yes. Lovely state. We love um, you. <laughs> 9 p.m. We got Colorado. We got Iowa. We got Kansas, Louisiana. Michigan comes in at 9. Uh, New York, which Democrats have ended up being surprisingly kind of nervous about. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin uh, and some of Arizona we start to get at 9. And at 10, we get all of Arizona all of Nevada and a few other states. Uh, Oregon starts to come in then as well, and then we go on from there. So you can see we'll be getting you know, key results throughout the night. I think it's important to put in the warning that there have already been results of some problems in Arizona, Pennsylvania, I think in particular. Yep. We expect the results to be relatively slow going. You might have an effect in some of these states, same as we did in 2020, where you have like the red mirage because you now have such a partisan divide in terms of how voters cast their ballots. So if the election day votes are counted first, you may see a huge red wave that then Democrats sort of eat into. You might see the reverse. You might see the mail-in ballots come in first, in which case you might have a huge Democratic margin. So I would just say, you know, hold tight, wait until the results all come in, and we will see where this all ends up. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that. Pennsylvania in particular, they've already come out, the Secretary of State said, we likely will not know the results for a couple of days, which is kind of crazy, uh, if you ask me. Uh, same thing in Arizona. They were saying around Arizona for Nevada as well. Uh, also, I should remind people, I actually didn't even know this when we were doing research, which is that the Red states in the Midwest, or the purple states, if you will, many of them have enacted laws, Crystal, where the early vote is not actually allowed to be counted until today. Right. And so even though the, many of those votes and ballots are banked, they're not allowed to count them, which would lead to the so-called Reg Mirage phenomenon that you're same, describing. Same deal in 2020 right. as we had then, and we went through an excruciating detail which states had which laws, yes. but just suffice it to say, some of the key states have that similar dynamic going on. Okay, so Sagar and I, on the show yesterday, we gave you kind of our analysis of what we think is going to happen. So I thought we could check in with um, our friends here, Kyle yeah. and Marshall, find out what you guys think for the night. Marshall, since I'm, you know, biased towards this one, I'll go ahead and kick it off to you. <laughs> um, what do you, what is your like overall expectation? I think we all probably expect Republicans to take the House. What do you think? Do you think it's a huge margin? Do you think this is like red tsunami situation, red wave situation, or do Democrats somehow manage to cobble together their control of the Senate? I'm not a big ocean guy, but yeah. whatever a moderate tsunami is, yeah. that's what I would go with. Like, typhoon. No, de- yeah, red typhoon. No, yeah. Definitely not yeah. typhoon. <laughs> moderate red tsunami is okay. the take. Moderate um, red tsunami. It's going to be a little less hardcore than our friends on like conservative Twitter are saying, yeah. but it's still going to be a really devastating midterm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, I kind of agree with Marshall. Uh, I will say that coming into this election— It was weird because this was the first election where I really felt like I had zero intuition about which way it was going to go. I remember back in 2016, I was one of the people who was kind of sounding the alarm when it was clear that it was going to be Hillary versus Trump because I felt like he could kind of hammer away on all of her weaknesses effectively. Um, But in this race, there's just so many variables that I keep bouncing around in my head. On the one hand, you think, look, inflation, 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 crime, crime, crime. All the Republicans have to do is repeat that until the end of time. And then, you know, effectively they could win. Uh, But then on the other hand, 
Roe versus Wade was overturned, and that's like a that's a huge deal. Right. And you know, you also have I think this pretty open extremism on the right that's different from previous iterations uh, on the right, because about fifty three percent of the Republican candidates either deny or question the election, and I think that might actually uh, weigh on voters. And then you also have what I think are some pretty significant accomplishments from the Biden administration from, from my perspective in terms of my ideology, because you had student loan debt reduction, pardoning nonviolent weed defenders. You had the IRA, which granted, even though I think it was a weak piece of legislation overall compared to Build Back Better, you still had some great provisions in that, like 15% corporate minimum tax rate, uh, 1% tax on stock buybacks, uh, billions of dollars more for Obamacare, which will give millions more Americans health care. So you have this like amalgamation of factors, which just makes it a big question mark. So I kind of agree with Marshall that ultimately, um, if, if you had a gun to my head and said, you have to pick something, you can't be agnostic, but yeah. I want to be agnostic. Yeah. But what I would say is probably Republicans, 51 or 52 seats in the Senate, and they're going to take the House, but it's not going to be as big as like the 2010 Tea Party wave. So yeah, Amy right. Walter over at uh, Cook Political actually had a good, in terms of the like wave terminology, mm -hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> she had a good way of breaking down the three possibilities for the night. So one, she said the red tsunami, which is like, Republicans sweep all of the toss-up races. There's a huge wave in the House. You know, they gain control of the Senate quite handily. Talking about something like 2010, mm -hmm. right? Analogous to 2010 or 2006 from the from the Democrats. Um, the next would be what she called wavy or maybe like wavish, <laughs> which is sort of the scenario that I think you guys are laying out and that I also uh, sort of envision, which is the Republicans take control of the Senate, but it's sort of like just barely. They have essentially matched or maybe a little bit of an enthusiasm edge over the Democrats and independents break their way, but it's not overwhelming. And then you fall in that mark of like maybe 20 to 30 seats in terms of the House. And then you have the red ripple, which is like the House margins are really held down. Um, they aren't able ultimately to take the Senate or it's very close uh, or it's 50-50 again, or it comes down to a runoff in Georgia, which I also think is definitely a possibility. So I think those are like the realistic possibilities that are kind of on the table at this point. So uh, we will read the tea leaves, even though you're not supposed to. And just let me <laughs> what the hell else are you supposed let to me do at this also point? just before I read these exit polls oftentimes mean absolutely nothing. They can be inaccurate. They are also all that we have at this moment. OK, so what do we have? And I've, we were all looking at this. And we're, it's a little bit interesting. So this is from the CNN exit polls. Here's what they say. Feeling the way that things are going in the United States. Enthusiastic. Five percent. Satisfied. 20%. Dissatisfied, 39%. Angry, 34%. What is your opinion of Joe Biden as president? This is surprising, Crystal. Approve, 45%. Disapprove, 54%. That is much higher approval rating That's than actually, had in a him, long time. Not bad. Yep. I mean, you, you know, if you're president of the United States and you're going to the midterms, you never want to see your approval rating underwater. But 45% is on the higher end of what he's much been higher. getting. You know, it tells you at least in the composition of this exit poll, which, again, you should take with like a million grains of salt and basically discard entirely. But at least in the composition of this exit poll, they're slightly more favorable to him than what polls have been showing recently. And we also have seen a pretty consistent trend of the Democratic Senate candidates outrunning Joe Biden. Not so much because, I mean, some of them I do think genuinely are good candidates. Mark Kelly, I would put in that mm -hmm. category. I think Warnock, I would put in that category as well. Fetterman, I put in that category until he had um, a stroke. But also because the Republicans nominated a bunch of psychos <laughs> that has caused, you know, some problems for them on the other side. So I think that's why Democrats 
on the, at the Senate level have kind of consistently outperformed Biden's approval rating. So when you see him at 45 percent, if if that was accurate, which is like, again, a yes. gigantic, gigantic if that's word is doing a lot of work there, then if you're Democrats, you're going, OK, we're in the ballgame. We got a shot. Right. And I think actually, before, I'll kick it to you, Marshall and to Kyle on this one. This is I found absolutely fascinating. Was your U.S. House vote to, quote, support Biden 18 percent, oppose Biden 32 percent? Biden, not a factor, 48 percent. And this also impacts that one, which is that the effect of Biden's policies on the country hurting 46, helping 36, not making a difference, 16. Did any of those numbers stick out to you? For me, it was Biden, not a factor. What do you think, Marshall? Biden, not a factor. And I think yeah. that to Crystal, what you were saying about how Biden's polls are decent, actually, for a president in this period, I think they're a little better than what Trump's were yes. during yes. the 2018 midterms. This gets at the difficulty of trying to read too much into these election results for 2024. Um, the second it becomes personal, that is going to scramble it. And this doesn't feel personal right now out of a repudiation level if you're looking at these like House and Senate candidates. I want to pick up on one thing, Kyle, you said that's interesting here and why it's hard to get a big narrative about this election. The democracy, the election integrity claims, like the races where it's making an effect are not like Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, like he's probably going to lose tonight mm, because right. he's seen as an extreme, because he is an extremist. <laughs> uh, it's not just like a perception thing. Right. He's actually extreme on election denial issues. But Carrie Lake, Arizona, she at the same time is not being punished for it. So yep. I'm interested in not just like dunking on people saying like, oh, like why are we talking about democracy so much? Why does it work in certain races and not in others? I'm curious, like if you have a theory for that, Kyle. I don't have a theory for that, but I also find it fascinating like you do. Uh, Crystal, you bring something up all the time that I think is really interesting, which is what are voters going to prioritize, like evaluating individual candidates or just like the national mood? Mm -hmm. Right. Because in this instance, those things are totally at odds. They are completely contradictory. If you go like individual candidates, you're going to look at the Carrie Lakes. You're going to look at the uh, Mastrianos. You're going to look at Look, even Oz, I would argue, and you're going to be like, oh, I don't like that. But if you just go national mood, I mean, historically, and I actually have the numbers up here. I wanted to share this with you guys. Um, Historically, it is the case that at least in recent uh, American history, it is the case that you have these backlash pendulum elections. So in 1994, Bill Clinton had a 44 percent approval rating, which, by the way, is the exact same approval rating Biden has today in the average of polls. Right. Uh, He lost 54 seats. You had Barack Obama had a 45% approval rating. He lost 63 seats in 2010. And then, of course, 2018, Trump had a 46% approval rating, and he lost 40 seats. Uh, So we're seeing Biden with a 44% approval rating. Is he going to lose as many as Bill Clinton did who had the exact same approval rating, or is it going to be less? Part of why it could be less, could, is because, you know, I was actually on the ballot in 2010 Mm -hmm. running a hopeless campaign as a Democrat for Congress in a very conservative area area in, like, the Tea Party wave year. And so I remember it quite well. And it wasn't just that Republicans were super energized, and they were. It was also that Dems were depressed, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. They had so much hope for the Obama era, and they had so much, you know, they really believed in this guy, and they really thought that things were going to change and the country was going to be transformed, it was going to be this whole thing. And then when he's a disappointment, and, you know, the dreams didn't all come true, there was a huge depression in terms of the Democratic vote. Democrats are very highly motivated. I mean, Republicans might be more motivated, and I think independents uh, seem to, at least in the most recent polls, have swung towards Republicans for a variety of issues. I would lay that, you know, primarily in terms of the economy, but I think crime has been a part of that as well. But you do have an 
a, perhaps a match in terms of Democratic th enthusiasm and Republican enthusiasm. That's why I don't know that it'll be the like blowout tsunami wave that you saw in a year like 2010. I'll tell you another thing that I was thinking about today in terms of what you were just saying, Kyle, and like the candidate quality uh, question versus the national mood question. To me, the House races are almost 100% just national mood. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. People don't really pay attention to the congressional candidates. There's not enough ad spending. Like, you don't really know the ins and outs of who they are and whether you like them or not and what they've done or what they want to do. That, to me, is almost completely just national mood. At the Senate level, you get a little bit more of a sense of these people as characters and as individuals. And so I could see a scenario where it really is kind of a Democratic bloodbath in the House, and yet it's not quite as ugly a picture for them in the Senate. And that really is, again, less a testament, I think, to uh, any sort of Democratic messaging or strategy or whatever, but the fact that Republicans have really, you know, tested the willingness of voters to see how far they will go. And there were some numbers out of Georgia, Sagar, I don't know if you have them in front yep. of you, exit poll numbers, um, asking voters what they thought of Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock. Mm -hmm. And they asked in particular, like, who shows good judgment? And it was overwhelmingly like people felt like Warnock had much better judgment than Herschel Walker does. So clearly there has been an assessment of their character. Now, is that determinative of their vote? Nobody knows. But I can see the candidate quality piece being at least somewhat more significant at the Senate level than it is at the House level. To me, this is the ultimate test of that political science study, which we yeah. had about a decade ago, which is does political uh, quality, does candidate quality matter at all? And in general, overwhelmingly, people continue to tell us no. Now, as Ryan very aptly pointed out on the show, we have never had the candidates that we had uh, uh, of this type. <laughs> Special so, it's a true <laughs> test uh, to what you alluded to. I have it in front of me. Who shows good judgment for, again, exit polls, take it with a massive grain of salt, don't know if it's true or not, but it's all we got. Only Warnock, 46% shows good judgment. Only Walker shows good judgment, 28%, both at five, neither at 18. Another, I think, interesting one, you know, in that regard, around Georgia, is around the extremism issue. They're like, do you think that Herschel Walker is extreme or not? And in that one, I mean, you didn't see, sorry. It was fairly close. It, it was like, in front of me. Warnock had actually, it was here, like I've got 43 percent percent and 39 percent for uh, it, oh i got it almost right 44 right. and 39 percent right so only warnock they say is too extreme 44 percent only walker 39 neither at nine and both at five which is just such an amazing testament to candidate uh sorry to partisan polarization yeah. in terms of it, nobody says both uh it really is either this guy or my guy neither or I find that a little bit interesting as to whether it even matters or not. I mean, I think it's worth going over the 538 elements. So why don't we go ahead, guys, number two. Let's go and put that up there on the screen. So we had the 538 average pulled, and what we'll put up there on the screen shows it at 55 to 45. Now, it's actually adjusted. So that one shows 58 to 42. Since that actually was made, it is now actually at 59 to 41 in terms of their percentage chances. I think it's also worth going race by race as to what the most razor tight ones are according to their polling average weight. Adam Laxalt and Cortez Masto, they have it 51 in 100 in Nevada. Yeah. For the audience which is watching, Ryan and Emily will be on at that time, but we really are not going to know a lot until around 11 p.m. Eastern time. Oz Fetterman, though, they switch 
switched Crystal much more in the Oz direction just in the last 24 hours. They have it now at 57% chance of Oz winning, given the last polls that all came in in his favor. For Warnock, they actually have it at 63% um, for Herschel Walker, which I found interesting. Blake Masters, they have losing. Um, they have a 66% chance in favor of Mark Kelly. That's kind of an interesting one. We're That's really gonna, I thought it'd be. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, curious what you think, Marshall. Something I floated on the show was, I think the strength of Kerry Lake's candidacy vis-a-vis Katie Hobbs, who is just objectively like a very bad candidate, didn't do the debate, was hiding, may actually be the saving grace for Blake Masters. Um, because the split ticket voting is just, it's a rare phenomenon in the year 2022. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. And I, I think the other thing that's clear here is, well, Chris, you said this, Mark Kelly is a good Democratic candidate right. in a state like Arizona. Yeah. So you're just really seeing that this is where the, to your point, mm-hmm. anecdotally, I just can't reject the candidate quality story here. But it seems right. to be the story uh, of this year right now. And I think the other thing that I want to just pick up on real quick, Crystal, because I think it's important to know for people, when you're talking about 2010 versus 2022, the difference in 2010 is like, you and I were door knocking. Yep, right. and you're kind of having to walk around and be like, oh, like here are all these things that are happening and here's why this Obama agenda thing is actually kind of good. And that's kind of difficult to do. Democrats, like I'm coming from Texas, so like Democrats are energized and in weird ways, they're acting like they're not in control right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Democrat, you control the House, you control the Senate, you control the presidency. It does not feel like that in the country right now. Yeah, and if you're looking at where the Biden administration has really struggled, it's the contradiction there. You both own it, but if you're looking at Supreme Court decision, if you're looking at the student loan issue of the Supreme Court itself too, you don't feel like you're in control. So that's going to be a confounding variable for the next bit. Um, let, let me give you guys an interesting data point on Pennsylvania because I know that the polls now show that Oz is up and he, mm-hmm. he closed the gap. I mean, there was a while where Fetterman was way up. Oz closed the gap and now he's up, uh, at least according to the 538 numbers, which is like the average of the polls. CBS Pennsylvania exit poll. Which one of these issues mattered most to your vote? Abortion is number one, 36%. Very interesting. Behind that is inflation, 28%. Shocked by that. Right. I was shocked by that too. I was very shocked by that. Well, whether it's true or not, you know, that's that's the real question. I think let's go ahead and put number six up there. We've got the Pennsylvania RCP average. Uh, that shows us exactly what we're working with and why the 538 average moved in that direction. So we have RCP and 538 there. What they show is that Oz in the final average is at up by only 0.1. I mean, that's not a margin that you'd necessarily (laughs) would want. You've got plus two, plus two, plus three. And then you had that very strange Maris poll, which we talked about on our last show, Crystal, with Fetterman up by six points. I mean, look, uh, on that one, I think it's difficult, which is that I do tend, though, to come back on Biden may be more important in Pennsylvania, given that he has such a low approval rating. Well, here's... Right, go ahead. Well, uh, going back to like the whole candidate quality question, which is kind of central to what ultimately Mm -hmm. happens tonight, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're going by the fundamentals, the Democrats are done, they're toast, it's over, it's ugly, you know, Republicans are winning like 56 seats in the Senate. The only reason Democrats really have a shot is because there are some questions about these candidates. I mean, Pennsylvania at this point, I, at the beginning of this race, I really thought Fetterman was not just like an okay candidate. I really thought he was one of the best Democratic candidates in the country because he had that just natural, authentic, everyman appeal. There's no doubt about it. The fact that he had a stroke really made things challenging for him. I mean, the debate performance, it was very difficult to watch. But Oz is also a terrible candidate. Like, need we remind everyone of the whole crudite situation and how he was completely at the beginning of the campaign, especially the Fetterman team did an amazing job of reminding people like this guy's a carpetbagger and he's an elitist and he's an, he's out of touch. And even post stroke, 
uh, Oz's approval ratings have been abysmal and Fetterman's have been really solid. Like mm-hmm. people like John Fetterman. They yeah. may have questions about whether he's really up for the Senate now or not, but they generally like John Fetterman more than they like Dr. Oz. So that one I sort of put as like a wash in terms of candidate quality. But I think the governor's race in Pennsylvania, you're talking about, well, what's different there versus the governor's race in Arizona? Since you have two like extreme election deniers on the Republican ticket, and one of them, Carrie Lake, seems very likely to win. um, And the other one, Doug Mastriano, seems very likely to lose. There, I think candidate quality really is the only thing you can point to. Yeah, I think you're right. And in my opinion, uh, candidate quality is actually more important for governor's races, which tend to be somewhat less partisan. Mm -hmm. You see a place like Vermont, elect a Republican. You see a place like Maryland, elect a Republican. You see a place like Kentucky, elect a Democrat. So you have a bit more of voters who are open to either party at the gubernatorial level because it's less about like these hard partisan who's going to control the Senate kind of questions. And in Mastriano, you have a very poor candidate who's also very extreme. In Josh Shapiro, who's the Democratic choice, you actually have a very good candidate who has proven himself to the state at a statewide level. He's taken on big corporations. He's taken on big pharma. He took on the Catholic Church. And there seems to be an awareness of that among the electorate. I think that's part of why he's had a consistent edge going into election night. And maybe that's something that helps Fetterman here down the stretch. On the other hand, to your point, Sagar, about, you know, Arizona at the gubernatorial level, uh, Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, has been very lackluster. She was very obviously too scared to debate Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is crazy, but she is very talented and charismatic on camera. She's a star. She's, you know, a television personality. She knows what she's doing. She comes across as very confident. And so I think in those situations, the only thing you can really point to there is you have two very different slates of candidates and candidate quality situations. Wait, question for the panel around Fetterman. Chris, you're kind of hinting at this. Yeah. How much did the peak Fetterman June to July online dunking matter? It felt like it really mattered at the time. So let's get the crudite ads, the brilliant memes. Did it matter at all or was it a wash? I I think it mattered. I think it it was the I think it was the substance of the dunking. Because the original argument was basically like a carpetbagger argument. He's a carpetbagger plus he's a massive elitist. And they kind of hammered away on that endlessly. But then I do feel like they sort of lost those the specific nature of those attacks moving forward. And then of course the stroke, you know, throws a wrench into the whole thing. But I mean I, I do think I do think that mattered. But Chris, let me ask you about uh, Carrie Lake because, I, yeah. you know, I've been thinking about this. Is it really just like the charisma thing? Because the fact of the matter is if you like take what she says and just like write it down and hand it to somebody, people be like, whoa, <laughs> like, what is this? This is wild. But is it just like that? Like you said, she's good on camera. She delivers stuff well. Is that enough? Is that really all that matters? And, and what does that say about us, I mean, if that's the case. Donald Trump well, was yeah, was president say, of the United States. Have you heard of a Donald Trump? So, listen, I can't claim to be like really deep into the weeds of Arizona politics yeah. to say for sure if there weren't things that like Katie Hobbs did that pissed people off other than not doing the debate or like that people actually like about Carrie Lake's platform. I really don't know. But from at the surface level, it appears to me that the fact that she is super confident, charismatic, you know, presents herself well, super comfortable on television, seems to be doing a lot for her here. And just to go back to the the Oz Fetterman question of whether those dunks mattered, 
I think they really defined Oz in a very negative way from the beginning, and he's never recovered. I mean, he's still, I'm looking at this poll from five days ago. He's underwater, favorability rating upside down. Only 35% have a favorable rating of him to 52% unfavorable, whereas Fetterman um, is still above water in terms of his favorability rating. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that Fetterman is still in this fight, and, you know, my prediction was that ultimately Oz is actually going to pull it out. So I, you know, on the record of saying, I think Mm -hmm. at this point it's probably Oz's race to lose. But to the extent that Fetterman still has a shot in this thing, it's because people just like him more than they like Dr. Oz. No, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, some interesting data that we have out right now on Miami-Dade County. So in terms of what's happening with Ron DeSantis, he is up currently by eight points with 66% of the votes in. And that is the same county that he lost, Crystal, by 20 points just four years ago. So that is a mat. I mean, look, I don't have to tell everybody about the demographics of Miami-Dade County, but just to show you about how exactly the Latino realignment, particularly with Cuban immigrants and others in Florida, that is a stunning development. The other newsy point that I want to point on on Arizona, this I predict is going to be a big thing. I was flagging it to you earlier. There were reports about problems in Maricopa County, about voting machines. The RNC right now is actually filing an emergency motion to extend polling hours in Maricopa County because voting machines, this is according to them, in over 25% of voting locations have experienced, quote, significant issues. The widespread issues in an election administered by Katie Hobbs are unacceptable. This is from RNC uh, chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. As Republicans are flocking to the polls, vote in person on election day. They have dozens of attorneys and thousands of volunteers. So if it is close, I expect that to be a major flashback. Well, I mean, this is, it's it's ironic because it used to be that um, Democrats were the ones that were really concerned about election day issues because typically those issues were in the cities and we're seeing that today in Philadelphia. They're having issues. And um, typically, you know, it was Democratic voters who were actually more likely to vote on election day post COVID and especially post Trump. You now have this hard partisan split where and this is, you know, this is an important factor for Republicans. Democrats have had weeks of early voting to turn their people out and figure out who voted and who has it. Let's get them to the polls and let's turn out like the ones who are reluctant, et cetera, et cetera. Republicans put all of their eggs now in this election day basket. So when there are problems in Maricopa County, as there are always issues every election somewhere in the country, they're freaking out. And of course, they're not freaking out of like, oh, no, it's they're having issues. They're freaking out of like they're stealing it again and it's rigged. Of course, if the results go in their favor, then suddenly it's going to be all above board. I think they're pre pre working the ground Mm -hmm. uh, there. Certainly. I mean, look, we'll we'll see in terms of what the actual effect on that was. It was incredibly, it's just, my thing is with Katie Hobbs and all of them is like, you knew this was coming. And it's like, still, like, what happened? Why, why exactly did 25 or 10%, I'm going to go with 10 to 20, which is what I saw from the actual press conference. Like, how do these machines just go down? You have to know that that is going to fuel, like, a serious partisan problem after two years of literal madness in Arizona where you had all those lawsuits and the fake audits. And then there was actually a compromise voting machines by the Republican side, by the overstock yeah, billionaire, right. which I'm going down real, real rabbit holes in terms of my memory for the fallout from that. I do think it is a major problem, as you said, which is that Pennsylvania now says that they had that problem. Uh, then you also have the, uh, sorry, Philadelphia had that problem. Arizona, I do expect that to be a flashpoint, but I also, it could disappear. Like if Katie if Katie Hobbs just comes out at the moment that the polls close in Arizona and wins, that it'll very likely disappear. But this is one I wanted to highlight for the audience because I do kind of expect if we see some closer results. Do you think, Marshall, um, yeah. that the election denialism will play a big role here in the election in terms of like day of? This is the awkward situation, which is not 
if Republicans win. Right, right. right? So <laughs> I, I, was, I was listening to a podcast earlier to prep, and someone yeah. pointed out that, well, Katie, um, uh, Carrie Lake is going to declare victory whether she wins no or loses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that's kind of the dynamic here. And the thing I kind of want to build on, because I've been thinking about this election denial issue, look, there's no conspiracy. I think that there's a large amount of incompetence in these systems. But I think yeah. if we're going to focus on where is the threat to like democratic legitimacy, I think it's perfectly reasonable for people who aren't engaged with politics to say like, wait, like it doesn't feel like elections have always been this much of a, a cluster F. So right. I think that. But they uh, actually have been. Yeah, have they, yeah. uh, have they yeah, been? I mean, Florida. I guess it's a presumption. Friggin two. I mean, exactly. Yeah. The hanging yeah. chads. Like, come on. They always yeah. because and it's part of like. Part of the strength and the resilience of the system is that you have each individual county running these things by a bunch of volunteers, mm -hmm. you know. And so, of course, sometimes things are going to go as awry. There's no hey, doubt ahead, about Kyle. it. And, and by the way, uh, I wanted to point out that the Maricopa County Twitter account is... Mm -hmm throwing haymakers at everybody who's criticizing them right now. They're responding <laughs> to Charlie Kirk and everybody and saying, like, oh, all this stuff it, is false. They're the, engaging in the yeah. discourse. Right. Uh, Very so, heavily. But I also wanted to give you guys uh, just some more specifics on the election deniers because mm -hmm. I think these numbers are, are fascinating. So apparently 60% of Americans have uh, won at least one election denier on the ballot. Out of 552 total Republican nominees running for office, 199 fully denied the legitimacy of the 2020 election. 61 still question the election. Uh, only 77 have fully accepted the results of the 2020 election. 93 accepted it with reservations. Uh, and what they say, at least according to 538, is that uh, you have at least 100 are guaranteed to win. So you know, it's not even uh, competitive, right. including, including three in the Senate, but the more important point, and Crystal, you uh, pointed this out to me earlier, is that you also have, in governor's races, there's two election deniers and four election doubters are shoe-ins. And then you have, probably even more importantly, uh, attorney generals and, or attorneys general and secretaries of state. Um, there's a bunch of them as well, seven election deniers uh, running there for, for both, respectively, for both Secretary yeah. of State and Attorneys General. So in total, 53% of Republicans running either question or deny the election outright. So very we are starting to get some very, very early numbers out of the state of Georgia. And it's not even really worth telling you exactly what they are, but mm -hmm. there is one trend that is pretty clear already. Again, to the question of candidate quality, uh, Governor Kemp, who is being challenged by Stacey Abrams again, rematch there, is outpacing Herschel Walker um, in his, you know, challenge to Raphael Warnock. So Kemp feels very confident, you know, obviously that he's going to ultimately prevail. The polls have consistently shown him up. But it does show you that, you know, in Georgia, even in times as sort of partisan and hardened as they feel, you have a significant and potentially determinative number of voters who are splitting their ticket mm -hmm. and voting for the Republican for governor and voting for the Democrat for the Senate. Also a reminder, in Georgia, you have to get over 50 percent in order to avoid a runoff. And all of the polls leading up to Election Day have shown, you know, whether they show Walker with a narrow lead or Warnock with a narrow lead, they show both of them coming in under 50 percentage points. So I think it is, you know, highly possible 
that we end up with yet another Georgia Senate runoff. I think you're right. And Sean, uh, Sean Trendy over at Real Clear Politics talking about this, saying that Walker is currently is running at about four points behind Brian Kemp. So that is a question of, do you think that Brian Kemp is going to get more than 54% of the raw vote? So if he does, then it's possible that Walker could have over 50. Mm-hmm. I, I generally think you're right, which is that I don't see necessarily a world. But listen, uh, we will see. In terms of right now, like what the major hot story I think is, is it's what I mentioned before on Miami-Dade County and the interim numbers coming out of Florida with regards to Ron DeSantis. There's some current numbers do look like he may win actually by almost 10%, which is crazy when you consider how he barely won the gubernatorial election against Andrew Gillum. I mean, he almost didn't win the Republican primary until Trump came and endorsed him, which is a different question, which I think you will hear quite a bit about if if he does decide to run against Trump. Marco Rubio also right now, we've got 50% of the vote in so far from Florida. He's up very comfortably over Val Demings. It wasn't necessarily a question. In terms of any other races, if people are interested that have only been called, we're going by the AP tonight, everybody. Kentucky, uh, Rand Paul, officially re-elected. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, no big surprise. There. Tim Scott, uh, officially re-elected there. And then Peter Welch winning in Vermont. The Tim Scott one just reminds me of one of my favorite stories around how exactly and how wrong the polls truly can be. Well, let's all remember Lindsey Graham in 2020. Jamie Harrison was said to be within just one shot. He raised over $100 million, only one point away. Jim Clyburn said that he could pull him across the finish line. He ended up winning by like seven, losing by 17 points, which is almost the exact same margin wow. as the person who ran against Lindsey Graham six years prior. So to have nearly a 17-point wrong swing in the state of South Carolina, we should all prepare ourselves for results like that. I rewarded him by making him DNC Yeah, that's chair. right. They rewarded him <laughs> by uh, by making him the DNC chair. I'm also really reminded, uh, whenever we're going to talk in the context of New Hampshire, is Maine. I mean, we cannot forget Susan Collins outpaced by nine points to actually finish quite comfortably in the state of Maine when she was considered an absolute goner on almost every statewide poll, so-called high quality. I was talking about this earlier today. I'm actually curious, Marshall Kyle, what you guys think. Why is it that we seem unable to properly poll uh, non-college educated whites? It is a story that is just does not seem solvable. Like it seems at this point, somebody would be able to properly weight some, you know, formula. And yet since Donald Trump came on the ballot, Marshall, it has just not yet uh, been possible, which is crazy for the people like us who have to sit here and prognosticate. We're like, listen, we have to bake in an assumption of complete, of completely being wrong in a way that we haven't in modern history in a long time. Yeah, and like you said, it's, it's a new dynamic to politics. Yes. It hasn't been, it's hard because very well-paid, very smart people have spent the last eight years yeah, literally. focused yeah. on this issue. And it just seems like this is one of those categories where we're going to have to just factor this in for the next Next eight years. Like yeah. This is this is kind of the story of the decade, just how that gap between college-educated and non-college-educated whites, that's, that's the center of politics right now. Yeah. Uh, what do yeah. you think, Kyle? Um, well, Crystal was reading me earlier today. Remember the 538 article from Nate Silver? Mm-hmm. He was like having an identity crisis and writing it down. Yeah, <laughs> and he was yeah, yeah. Explaining like, right. oh, how do we weigh this thing versus right. how do we weigh that thing? How do, you know, how do we make it work? And, you know, look, the thing that really shook my faith massively was that um, – Typically, in modern American history, you had, you know, there would be an advantage for the Democrats baked into the polls, uh, but then it was the opposite in this, these special elections that just happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, five House special elections uh, uh, post-Dobbs. Correct. And it was the, it was the exact opposite. And I was like, 
wait, what? I, I always thought either the polls are going to be like roughly accurate mm -hmm. or you're going to have a baked in like four point Democratic advantage. But at this point now, this is my answer. Every time people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. I'm in the same I'm going off gut feeling now. Vibes. The vibes. Literally, yeah, vibes. It literally is. <laughs> I know. It is so crazy. Here's a fun data point um, coming out from the AP. Stacey Abrams currently running behind Warnock by eight points. Wow. So the Democratic dream. Stacey wow. Abrams uh, raised, I mean, tens of millions of dollars, became a massive way, star in her own right. Go ahead. Kemp yeah. stood up to Trump. Yes. He is not an election denier. Correct. And it looks like he's, if anything, he's being rewarded for that. You know Definitely. what's funny, Kyle? Trump uh, Trump actually endorsed him yesterday. Uh, Trump, oh, really? came, Trump came oh, out. It was a quiet funny. endorsement. Wow. Trump came credit. out and was like, I'm, I give Brian Kemp my support. Why? We all he's know gonna why. Because he's going to win. So you're like, see, I had the better. <laughs> Even though I literally wow. went to the state and said I would rather have Stacey as governor after it looks like he's going to win. Trump is behind I mean, the ball. I, I, I do yeah. want to say uh, yeah. one thing uh, about Stacey Abrams, who was really built up as like this oh, next yeah. Democratic star. And there were, you know, glossy profiles written of her in the Washington Post and photo shoots and all this stuff. Part of her mystique was that she had built this voter turnout operation mm -hmm. in Georgia. That was the whole idea is like Stacey Abrams cracked the code. Remember when Joe Biden wins Georgia by this narrow margin, everyone's saying it's because of this voter turnout machine that Stacey Abrams was able to put together and focused on and, and what she did. And listen, I, I'm not there. I don't know. Maybe it did make a difference ultimately, but she wasn't able to turn that machine on clearly in order to get herself sufficient votes to come close to uh, defeating Brian Kemp. It's not over yet. It's not called, but doesn't look good for her when she's running so significantly behind um, walk of uh, Warnock, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, one other note on the Georgia race. This is from uh, at Daniel or Daniel Nishanian, who, mm -hmm. by the way, Bolts Magazine, you guys got to follow them. Support them if you can. They have a wonderful election cheat sheet with all of the ballot initiatives, everything that is at stake in this election, no matter, you know, they lean to the left and they focus a lot on criminal justice issues. But just in terms of information, totally second to none. So shout out to them. But he's saying that uh, we now have an interesting data point from Georgia, which is that the libertarian candidate is only garnering about 1.4%. That's crazy. So that yeah. means that the Walker-Warnock margin would have to be under whatever the libertarian right. candidate is getting in order to go to a runoff. Mm -hmm. So since the libertarian candidate is getting such a small proportion, that makes it less likely that it is ultimately going to go to a runoff. That's actually a fascinating yeah. point. Uh, go ahead, Marsha. Yeah, I, I want to. I want to build on the on the uh, Warnock versus Stacey Abrams story because if you're looking at lessons for Democrats, right, a lesson for Republicans we focus on tonight is: look, if you're going to have an election denier, make sure they're all the talent. If you're yeah. if you're a Democrat operating <laughs> in a purple to red state you need to be able to not be a part of the national mood. And it seems to me the big mistake that Stacey Abrams has consistently made, um, this is the mistake that also like nuked her vice presidential mm -hmm. and like brought her 2020 chance. She feels the need to jump into the national discourse. And I don't just mean like commenting on issues, but she just clearly is a national political a figure. Yeah, yeah. And Warnock is not a national political figure. Same Warnock. thing goes for Mark Kelly. Same yep. thing goes for Fetterman. So if you're a Democrat in these types of states, you need to have a personality, which all three of those do, but you also just cannot be part of that national story. So yeah. I read it just a little bit differently. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but the other thing is, Georgia historically is is a red state, and you have Warnock and Ossoff pulled off the upset uh, there recently. And when I look at Warnock, I think he has like every excuse in the world to go full Joe Manchin mm -hmm. and full Kirsten Cinema, and he just didn't. He's actually been like a loyal vote for Biden, and I, I view that as almost like super serving the Democratic base 
So the model going forward should be for Democrats, like super serve your base and then maybe you'll have a shot even in an off year, as opposed to trying to please everybody like Joe Manchin, and of course, most importantly, Manchin and Cinema like to please their donors, but like trying to portray yourself as like, oh, I'm a maverick and I'm an iconoclast and I could reach across the aisle. Sometimes voters sniff that out for what it is, and it's really fake. And in the case of Warnock, he didn't do that, and perhaps he's getting rewarded for that. It's possible. You know, Mark Kelly's an interesting example, too. He's basically yeah. got a 97% voting record uh, with Biden. And yet, like, how exactly does he maintain his credibility? From what I have read, really what it is is that he's willing to depart with Biden on the border. He's willing to call him out locally. He grants a lot of interviews to the local – this is where I just don't know, Marshall. Like, how much of the whole all <laughs> politics is local, right, yeah. all politics is national. But then guys like Kelly exist, and you're like, hey – I mean, he does well. I mean, he didn't do particularly well <laughs> in the debate, but like he gives interviews to like Arizona Central and he makes sure that in the debate, he, he's like, I call on Joe Biden to like restore our board. And, but he doesn't ever do that. Whenever he's here in Washington, yeah. he doesn't go up to Manu Raju and the CNN cameras and be like, I'm calling out uh, Joe Biden here right now. But he does it in his ads. And somehow it doesn't come across as fake. It's a very interesting story. Well, there's something we kind of, yeah. totally different topic, we kind of glossed over it, right? right. With those Miami-Dade numbers. What happened to Florida over the past 20 years? Great question. Like, that's actually it's a, a really, like, it, yeah. it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not purple, it's red. You know, it's 2000 election, that's Florida. It's a state that Democrats, like, were very, very, very close to winning. Sure. 2008, like, what, what, what do you Ohio. guys think happened? Same thing happened to Ohio. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I have to think that it has a lot to do with the uh, Latino swing, swing yeah, I think to right. Republicans. Yeah. I mean, the Miami-Dade numbers are a, a perfect yeah. indication of that. And especially, I mean, the Florida Latino community, Latino community tends to be more conservative because it's disproportionately Cuban. So if I had to say what happened in Florida, I think that's got to be a significant part of it. I got one more for you, too. Yeah. The Villages. Mm. <laughs> That's what happened. The villages. You had all these retirees moving there, and they're a lot of boomers. Lean conservatives. A lot of boomers. A lot of boomers. A lot of, a lot of QAnon <laughs> yeah. faithful down there. Yeah. He's got all kinds of stuff. He's going on. Rick Scott, Mr. Cut Social Security as their senator. Right. So it's a weird state. Okay. Yeah. Like, this is like, that's yeah, the deal. I don't get it. You know, I want that Rick, guy who did Rick's personal profile versus how he is in the state actually is, again, to the whole local thing. Like, Rick actually speaks fluent Spanish, and he made like 12 trips to Puerto Rico whenever he was running. Uh, he made like Puerto Rico aid, a big thing for him. I always found that kind of fascinating. Um, I don't know. I'm curious uh, for everybody before we all jump in at 8 p.m. A lot of DeSantis bros are blowing out about his numbers right now. So even my friend, Michael Brennan Doherty, who generally is not one to go with this, he says, quote, every political professional, GOP, conservative populist is going to look at these Florida numbers and want DeSantis as the 2024 nominee. Noah Rothman also, to be clear, a never Trump guy, but he says, quote, Donald Trump has spent the last 48 hours loosing unprovoked attacks on DeSantis. If DeSantis' only response is a 15 to 20 point statewide victory in Florida, I don't think that he needs any other what do you think marshall oh, uh, there's a lot is, of this is this right is now. this you you, yeah. you did a good job of picking right. two people who i don't think are coping they're actually giving their yeah, they're opinions giving their real but these are stupid yeah. opinions right, right. The, the notion that republican voters like the actual base of the republican voter is saying like oh look at those 15 to 20 per yeah. like literally no one is choosing their 2020 like a florida any the republican nominee in 2024 is winning florida yes like that's the whole point of this conversation we just had right. so that's not the debate the debate within the republican party is not like hey you know 
can you win Florida? The debate is, who do we want representing us? And from my perspective, you talk to any actual, there's a great tweet on this where someone said, people on Twitter who are standing for DeSantis right now Mm -hmm. over Trump are disproportionate with people who want to get jobs Uh. for DeSantis (laughs) versus like actual Republican voters. Like talk to any of your family members who are Trump people, they'll say, DeSantis, nice guy, guy. I like him. He could come in 2028, 2032. Right. He's young. I like Trump. Yeah, exactly. I happen yeah. to know our, our that, that Kyle has a difference of opinion I do, really. here because oh, we've been privately yeah, having this debate for like several us. months now. Let's hear it. Privately and publicly yeah, having exactly. this debate. So <laughs> let's hear it. Look, I mean, bottom line is we're looking at the reality of a potential indictment for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you might also look at a conviction for Donald Trump because he's got so many lawsuits I mean, I, I literally can't even name them all at the top of seven. my head. That's how many there seven. are. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you have the federal investigation in D.C. over the, the top secret and classified documents. You have, of course, the civil case in New York over all of his fraudulent business practices. And that press conference from Letitia James, if you haven't seen it, go watch it because it's amazing. Like the, the crimes she alleges are so specific. There's so much detail that it's mind blowing. Anyway, so there's all these different cases against Trump. Um, I think an indictment is likely. I think a conviction is possible. The only thing that we're really relying on, and granted, this is difficult to do, but mm-hmm. does Merrick Garland have a pair? Mm-hmm. If he has a pair and he does what he's supposed to do, look, I'm, I'm very critical of, of the Republican Party and the Republican base. But, you know, Crystal and I were debating this the other day. Can Donald Trump win the Republican primary from prison? I'm a hard no on that. I think that it would be DeSantis. Oh, he would. This is easy gene death. He would definitely. He would not only win, he would win bigger than if he was in prison. Disagree. I disagree. We disagree on that. One one big thing to (laughs) respond to this on. We kind of had a test of this already, which is that when when the Mar-a-Lago raid happened, every single Republican who, given everything you just started, like, believes what you just said. Where like every single establishment Republican in the back of their head is like, yeah, this is obviously not good. This is definitely bad. They wouldn't privately defend it, but they fell on their sports for him. Big time. DeSantis, they, 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 when every single time they've had an opportunity to implement what you've described, they haven't gone for it. I do not see a world where Ron DeSantis gets on the debate stage and says, you know what, Donald, we both know you're going to be in prison this time next year. You're not going <laughs> to be the nominee. I think he needs to do that. And what also, does he need to do? Look, we're talking short-term, long-term, too. I mean, I saw the numbers right after that raid. I saw that they went up for Trump. But yeah. I think it's... It's a little fake in the long run. In the same way that an investigation into Hillary Clinton by the FBI didn't help her in the 2016 race, I don't think this helps Trump in any way, shape, or form. And I think in many ways, like, look, the chances of him winning, uh, at becoming president again after everything that's already gone on, zero. Don't really? Know. He wow. would absolutely get obliterated. All right, everybody bye, clip bye, it. Bye, bye, bye. Everybody clip by it. By anybody. By yeah. anybody. Americans, they're over it. Americans are over it. I get you have your little click of 30%. That's just (laughs) absolutely psychotic for you. Great. Have fun with that. Try winning a national election on that. It's not going to happen. That's 2016. That's the problem here. He had real outsider appeal in 2016, I think. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There are two totally different questions there, though. (laughs) One is the general election. Let's put that to the side because I do think, if he's in prison, I think he's going to be a tough sell to the general public. I hope. I think it's a better sell. <laughs> Republican <laughs> primary electorate. He, yeah. they're his. I mean, yeah. he's announcing in like so three days. They love it's him. done. And and Ron DeSantis, like, he immediately bent the knee that's, the moment, and that's the same thing that's going to happen. Yep. Trump is going to announce 
then he's probably going to get indicted and it's going to be another moment where they all have to rally to him. And then what? I mean, you've already filed for pres presidency and Ron DeSantis has never done anything other than these little sort of like, you know, subtweet jabs at Trump. The minute you come directly for him, it is a totally different dynamic. One second, guys. So we do have to... our people on standby. Uh, I just want to go ahead and tell the crew, let's go ahead and get Lewis ready from um, Oz HQ, I believe, because I know that we are there. All right, Kalua. Yeah. So we actually have him. Uh, we have him ready. All right, let's go ahead and bring him in if we can. Okay, hey, Lewis, hey, Lewis how are you? So this is Lewis Angeles. He's the Doctor Oz event. Uh, thank you very much to our premium subs who enabled to be there. Lewis, give us a sense. What's going on on the ground? You're there at Doctor Oz HQ. What's the feeling? Polls are closing very soon. What are you seeing? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to be here. Uh, yep, I'm uh, here at the Doctor Oz event. Uh, the last couple days have been across the state. Uh, Came in on Saturday, first thing uh, in Pittsburgh. We headed over to the Donald Trump event that was going on there. Uh, Sunday, we were at the Bernie Sanders event that was taking place in Pittsburgh. Monday night, we were at a John Fetterman event. So we've really, you know, talked to all sorts of people all over the place. Uh, me, I drew the short stick and had to drive over from uh, from Pittsburgh this morning and uh, <laughs> made the six-hour trek over, but, uh, well, but we you. made it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Although I'm a little upset. Uh, I was expecting there to be potentially some crudite here. None yet. Uh, I will keep you posted if that changes. Uh, well we will see. But uh, yes, thank you. I've been saving that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Six but, hours um, to write the joke. So Lewis, just yes. tell us, you know, the, since you talked to voters who were clearly, you know, very enthusiastic about Dr. Oz, or at least voting for him, very enthusiastic about Fetterman. Did you see a difference in terms of, you know, how they were viewing the, the key issues? Um, one thing I noted from some of the coverage that you all at Status Quo had sent us is the Fetterman voters talked a lot about Dr. Oz's character. The uh, Oz voters talked more about, you know, inflation, crime, immigration. They had sort of like big picture national issues in mind. Was that a sort of consistent theme with the voters that you spoke with? I would say that's fairly consistent, yes. Um, one thing that I noted that I was a little bit surprised about, um, you know, from afar, looking online, online, Fetterman looks like the campaign has tons of energy behind it and everything. In person, I haven't seen it as much. Uh, if I'm being honest, when you compare Saturday night at the Trump event and the energy that was there, some of it, albeit crazy, uh, but there's definitely an energy around all of that movement still. And then yep. you compare it to on Sunday... The Bernie Sanders event that I was at was directly across the street from a big college in Pittsburgh, dorms right across the street. There were maybe four or 500 people there. The park wasn't even close to full. Um, hmm. And that was surprising to me. I mean, Bernie Sanders and college students, that's that's his easy demographic to get them over there. And they wow. weren't showing up. And then again, last night at the Fetterman event, uh, same kind of deal. It was a little bit further out of Pittsburgh, but the turnout was was really not uh, not what I was expecting. The energy was fairly low. I will say Fetterman's speech last night was probably the the best I had uh, heard him speaking so far. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I think that might be a little too little too late. That's interesting. Yeah. That's why it's so valuable to have you on the ground. You know, it's yeah. not something that we can really get a sense of. You know, in the interviews and stuff that you were giving for us, it was a lot of national talk about inflation um, from the GOP. Have you talked to any swing voters? I'm curious, like any people. Well, first of all, let's be clear. Some people say they're swing voters, but then they're like, I would never vote for X in my life. But uh, <laughs> any actual swing voters in your estimation, uh, maybe people who made up their mind in the last couple of days. What, what are they saying? What is at the top of their mind? For sure. Uh so a couple of people that I spoke to that were interesting, and then a couple of folks I spoke to outside while the press were waiting in line to get in here today uh, said that anecdotally they had heard this a lot too. Uh, the Oz uh, Shapiro voter 
exists in decent number, I would say. Interesting. Uh, wow. Yeah. 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 And I heard, uh, I, again, I had the six hour car ride today. So I listened to your show from yesterday just to see what you all were talking about. And I heard one of you at one point say that you didn't think that that was going to be a thing. And I was actually surprised hmm. yesterday. Uh, I, I've met two of them myself just on the street. Um, you know, it, it's one thing doing interviews with people on camera and everything. It's a whole other thing in the Uber, you know, talking to the hotel front desk person. And I feel like I've learned a lot more doing that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. I've got one good anecdote from an Uber driver. Uh, he was like a self-described conservative. Um, and he was the first person actually to tell me that he was a, you know, somebody who's going to vote for Oz. But to him, Mastriano was a little too out there. Um, he said that Oz kind of rode the line well on the issue of abortion. Um, this gentleman was a self-described pro-life. Um, but he says that, uh, you know, a lot of the Republicans running nationally have gone too far and that Dr. Oz has kind of, you know, uh, ridden the more moderate line, if you will, um, and kind of uh, making more compromise. Maybe not moderate might not be the right word, but that he's a little bit uh, open to the compromise. OK. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Cool. Um, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to check back in with yep. you later. Keep us posted. Stay in touch and let us know uh, what you were seeing there on the ground. Thanks, thank Lewis. You, Lewis. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, guys. Our pleasure. Okay, so I think we have the next guy um, who is up. Let's go ahead and see control room. If we good, we just have give John a shout. ready to go at the Fetterman event. All right, we're not getting anything from this. So, so, oh, there he's he here. Okay, hey. all right. Hey, John, John Farina at the Fetterman event. Great to see you, John. You Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, just give us a little bit of a, a vibes check there and what you have heard from voters while you're on the ground. So. Uh, People haven't actually started uh, coming into the the uh, theater here, the arena. Um, it's mostly just press and staff. Uh, I guess they'll start letting people in in a few minutes, around eight. Uh, I haven't spoke with anybody outside here, but you know, I was with Lewis this whole weekend and and yesterday. Um, basically, uh, a lot of people are are looking forward to, to voting for Fetterman. Haven't really spoke with. Uh, any Oz supporters, except for at the Trump rally, um, you know, they're not they're not as excited for Oz, but you know, they're going with him because Trump is endorsing him, basically. Got it. Uh, so you know, whoever whoever Trump's Trump's going with, they're they're going with, you know, and uh, you know, uh, actually did speak with uh, some people at the. Oh, hold on one second. No problem, John. It's all good. Am I uh, am I here? Listen, John, we're going to okay. uh, we're going to check back in with you later in the night once folks are yeah. arriving there and we start to get some poll results so we can see what is going on there on the ground. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time with us. And uh, by okay. the way, guys, both of these folks are with Status Quo. Um, they enable all of our on the ground reporting. Um, actually, you guys, premium yes. subscribers, enable that. Reminder: ten percent discount. Yeah. It's in the description. Link in box. the description. Uh, at the top. But also, yeah. make sure you give Status Quo a follow because they're doing great work, and it's very expensive to travel around the country, and they are doing that work, um, which really benefits us and benefits the entire independent media Certainly. ecosystem. Yeah, it really does help to you know to have those guys. They travel all over, and I, you know, Louis in particular, finding those interviews, and he filmed some that stuff for us that we played on the show, which was really, really valuable. So look, 7.55, everybody. Um, if things are going to close, five minutes, it's interesting. I let mean, me right give now, you, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let me give you the numbers where they're at. 
with a small percentage of the vote in, which means these numbers are not representative of the entire state. But I just want to give you a little bit of a sense of where things are right now early in the night. So if we look at Florida, which actually, according to New York Times, has 71 percent of votes in. Um, So, yeah, decent percentage of the state. And I'm just talking Senate right now. Uh, Rubio is up on Val Demings, 55 to 44. I'd say that's roughly in the ballpark of Mm -hmm. what we kind of expected there. Over in Georgia, um, right now you only have 22% of the vote in, so that is still extremely early. So these numbers will definitely change, will definitely tighten up. But you've got Warnock at 58% to Herschel Walker at 40%. That, again, is with, according to the New York Times, 22% of the vote in. Um, you have in North Carolina, the Democrat, uh, this is with 42% of the vote in. Um, not sure what parts of the state, but again, these numbers will definitely change. You have the Democrat Sherry Beasley up 55% to Ted Budd, 43%. Hashtag stop the count. Um, <laughs> over in Ohio, you have just 6% in. And again, Tim Ryan up 62 J.D. Vance, 38, very early, definitely going to change. And then you have over in New Hampshire. This is one that Democrats got super nervous about super late. Um, And by the way, this is also a state where they decided to spend a bunch of money trying to make sure that a psycho election denier got the nomination on the Republican side. Now that guy is in uh, striking distance of actually winning a Senate seat. Way to go, guys. Anyway, at this point, Maggie Hassan does have the lead that is with a mere 10% of votes in. She's at 63%, and Don Balduck, election denier, is at 35%. Yeah, Tulsi endorsed, by the way. Tulsi oh, that's right. Endorsed. Tulsi endorsed. Uh, what's, what's interesting about Balduck is that, as I was saying earlier in our last show, there is no early voting in New Hampshire, like not in, even close. So the election result is much more a reflection of the electorate today as opposed to, let's say, two weeks, three weeks. It could uh, have some, given the fact that things were narrowing and moving much more in Republican direction, everybody always talks about momentum and like whether that matters or not. I tend to think especially less uh, in the Democratic context, given mail-in balloting and the way that the changes is generally nationally. But to have that dynamic in New Hampshire is pretty interesting, Marshall. Well, yeah, and one yeah. thing I want to bring up that came through the correspondence, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, but uh. Was Trump a positive or a negative on the trail this year? Mm. Mm. Uh, right, because he was—he made the point that people, if you, if you're at that, you know, Trump show, and I think that's right. the way to describe it, you're definitely there for Trump, not for Oz. But there's a lot of controversy of like, is Trump going to announce a few days ago? Is Trump yes, starting Ohio DeSantis yeah. to be yeah, a big deal? So like, where did we come to on? Positive or negative? I mean, my opinion is overall negative because um, he's the reason why Republicans have such poor candidates in many of these races. I mean, Oz is him. Walker is him. Didn't he? Blake Masters is him. Um, And not only that, but then when you look at the number of, like, Trump is stop the steal. And so when you have all these election deniers, people like Mastriano, I mean, there's no reason Republicans shouldn't be winning the Pennsylvania governor's race this year and Mastriano very likely to lose. So when you look at the way that he shaped the candidate field and (laughs) made it much poor quality, um, I think you have to say he's a net negative. To be fair, though, you know, I think Mastriano, he didn't endorse him until like two days before because Mastriano was just going to win. So yeah, it's like, is that really Trump? Trump? There's no January 6th. Yeah, listen, there's no I, election denial. There's no stop the steal. So yeah. when I look at that holistically, yeah. you have to say like, you know, Kyle and I were talking about this yeah. earlier. You should actually make this point, Kyle, because I'm just stealing it from you. But <laughs> right now you have a bunch of Republicans who are elected who go along with a bunch of nonsense but do not really believe it. Mm-hmm. You're about to have a lot of people who are actually true believe believers. Right. right, and that's that is kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, I think it's they're in a, they're in an impossible place right now. 
uh, because you can't really win a Republican primary. You're more likely to win a Republican primary if you have Trump's backing, but then you're definitely less likely to win the general because you're not going to get the independents. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the moderates. You're not going to get the normies. You're not going to get the young voters. You're not going to get the women. You're unless just you're not going to get them. Unless yeah, you're unless Carrie Lake. Exactly. <laughs> She's the only one who's like bucking the trend. But generally speaking, yeah, it's difficult. It's it's difficult for these candidates. And it's sort of like, you know, a, a deal with the devil, effectively. Like, you'll get me through the primary, then I'll hit a brick wall in the general. Thanks, well, coach. You know what's the crazy thing is that, Car- you know, Trump said today that he'll be announcing his VP pick very soon. I think it's going to be Carrie Lake. I really do. What about Tulsi? He loves her. The one thing yeah. I, because I, I was thinking about this earlier, because right. I bought that, I buy that too. Mm-hmm. I think he really likes her, but he also needs her That's there. True. Yeah, he does. You know, like it's, there's a, it's important for him to have his election denial people in place for next time around to make sure it can swing in his direction. I don't I also know. don't believe I, him. Like, yeah. Because I think of, I hate doing the whole like, think of the apprentice as the right. way to think of Trump, <laughs> but why would Trump declare his VP candidate, VP candidate so early? Like it right. should be a thing. It should be entertaining. It should, there should be auditions and tryouts. And look, Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake could totally fall on her face. Oh yeah. Totally mm-hmm. fall on her face. Like yeah. if, if, there was, if there was an environment where Carrie Lake was going to succeed, it's charismatic as hell Carrie Lake against a mediocre Democrat during a red tsunami election. She can get into office when voters aren't purely thinking of inflation because it's not as much like the governor's issue as much mm-hmm. and totally fall flat. So I just, I think Trump, I think Trump is not true, true about that. Uh, you might be right. Okay. It's 8.01 PM here on the East coast. So here are the polls oh, and boy. where they have closed. Alabama, Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, New Jersey, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, mm. Pennsylvania, oh, boy. Rhode Island, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and here in Washington, DC. So Pennsylvania, obviously, that's going to be the one that we're all watching. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I really am fascinated to see how it all comes out. Reminder that the Pennsylvania Secretary of State has already come out and said that it, we are not going to likely to know the results for several days there. So everybody hail, hold on to your hats, especially if it is as close as people are indicating. Some early vote numbers coming out um, someplace in the Midwest. They already called the race for Todd Young uh, winning his reelection in Indiana. Ohio, we've only got 9% of the vote that's come in there right now. Connecticut, they've called the race for Richard Blumenthal. <laughs> Literally the moment the polls closed, they went ahead and called the race oh, for uh, him. Peter Welsh, also new senator yeah, that's for right. Pete uh, Vermont. Welsh in Vermont, they went ahead and they called that for him. And then Maryland, Chris Van Hollen winning his re-election in Maryland. Basically no uh, major upset there. I wonder if they called the governor so, there. Uh, they, Go ahead. I don't know if you mentioned this yet, yep. but they called Florida for DeSantis and right. for Rubio. Yes. Uh, so they did that. And then also, this is going back about 20 minutes or so, but I right. wanted to bring it up. Marjorie Taylor Greene has officially been re-elected. Oh, well, you know, nice. that's a great question. In ter- that's a good example in terms of these scam, or it's not scam candidates, but, you know. She believes what she people. believes. That's no, 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 I'm not talking about her. I'm not talking about her. The person running against her, the Democrat, oh, raised okay. some $15 million. That's insane. Running against her. It's like those Republicans who run against AOC who right, don't have a yeah. chance in hell. They end up raising like $20 million. So if you're one of those people, don't fall for one of those ads. He was like, I'm going to take on Marjorie Taylor Greene. Is- I- Ilhan Omar wins re-election by 73% people. Like, it's not no, going actually, to no, her, her, her race was, her race was actually pretty like, and, if you're, if you're a scam candidate, ads, that was their problem, I think. I do oh, know okay. what you think, Marshall. But yeah. They ran I, no TV ads at all, and then she almost lost. Yeah, to a she, 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 she yeah. almost lost? Uh, no, primary. See, I'm talking, no, no, she, she almost lost to Republicans. Oh, I'm talking about the oppositional okay. candidates, not um, in the primary. Okay, fair enough. So yeah. I, I have some interesting right. numbers out of Kentucky where they have an anti-abortion uh, ballot initiative oh, that voters are, um, are also casting ballots on. 
So uh, this is again from Daniel Nishanian of Bolts Magazine. He says that the pro-choice side in Kentucky has a chance to defeat the anti-abortion referendum. So it's it's early, only 10% reporting. Rand Paul, who's already been declared the winner based on what they have in so far, but he leads 57 to 43. But the anti-abortion referendum is actually down by 10 points. We saw this in, what was it, Kansas or Missouri? So huge divide. I mean, that means you have a huge percentage of the Kentucky population that is like, yes to Rand Paul, no to this uh, anti-abortion referendum. So interesting. That is absolutely fascinating. So let's dig in a little bit to the DeSantis numbers. Everybody calling it now here. Guys, he is at 57% of the vote. What percentage? Charlie Crist at 42. This is with 73% in all major networks. Everybody go ahead and calling it for Ron DeSantis. But leading by 15 points, Charlie Crist. I mean, uh, barely winning the election by what? Less than 0.1% or something last time around uh, against Andrew, Andrew Gillum. Gillum. Just yeah, a right. stunning, Very close. stunning. This will be one of the major national stories coming out of this, no question. Marco Rubio, as you said, already getting declared the winner at 8 p.m., which is crazy. I mean, you know, to have Florida, that's supposed I mean, for my entire lifetime, Florida, Ohio, these states were considered the major bellwethers. Now, what is it? We're talking about Georgia. Georgia we're talking Arizona. about Arizona. We're talking about about Nevada. the Midwest places that should not be in play or never were, and you know, in, in really the political environment, well, the map all of us came really up really shifted. Completely. You know, I mean, yeah. now for Democrats, and Democrats have this great way of being like, oh, that's state Ohio. We've we don't care right. about that state anymore. Let's it's go like, where really? the well, Obama grass just wanted, is a little greener. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a red state. Forget right. about that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really shifted. Now they're focused more yep. on, uh, you know, the Sunbelt states, certainly Georgia. Um, you know, North Carolina was a big hope for a while. Those hopes have faded a little yes. bit. But uh, certainly Arizona is new turf for, for Democrats in terms of, you know, it was not long ago where it was very difficult for Democrats to win in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And now you have Mark Kelly there, uh, you know, favored. I, I, it's far from over, but favored to win in the state. And obviously Biden won there last time around. So, I mean, this is the the political realignment. And they also got Colorado. Like Colorado used to not be able to state either. So there's, oh, that's uh, not Col- Col- I, 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 I would say if I were a Democratic strategist, I would not trade Ohio and Florida for <laughs> yeah, Colorado. Colorado. No offense to Colorado. So we do, viewers. by the way, have our official <laughs> flip of the night, a Charlie Chris old seat, Florida 13th district, Anna Paulina. I think she used to work for Turning Point. I believe I've met her uh, once huh, or twice. Interesting. Anyway, uh, she, Anna Paulina Lina, she has officially flipped Florida 13. That is officially one gain for the Republicans in the House of Representatives. As a reminder, everybody, it's only 8.06, so it is uh, really beginning to get started right now. I have a call for you. Go ahead. Democrats have flipped the Maryland governorship. Oh. Westmore well, will be I governor. I guess technically, but yeah. Maryland's yeah. first yeah. black governor. Yeah. I mean, this was one where, again, uh, going back to the question, does Trump help or hurt? Right. Republicans nominated a an extreme candidate in Maryland. Maryland is a state that, you know, currently has a Republican governor. So, yep. you know, it is a blue state, but it's one that has a track record of being willing to vote for Republicans for governor. Um, I don't know if uh, Larry Hogan, the current governor, I don't know if he outright endorsed Westmore, but I do know he said he would not vote for the Republican mm-hmm. nominee. So, you know, this turns a, a seat that, you know, maybe Republicans could have contested with a different candidate into one that was just a, a slam dunk for Westmore. Here's another uh, fun game, which is by how much are DeSantis and Rubio winning by? 
by. So Rubio right now is up about 12 points over Val Demings mm-hmm. in Florida. The 538 average had him at 12 points leading. Um, so that's wow. interesting. So that to consider, it was one of the, the first times. Were. Well, okay, so maybe we can consider this. In now red states, maybe they are getting good at calling these. Although Florida was pretty off in 2020, if we'll all recall, by yeah. Ad Biden up by three. Yeah. Um, uh, but Trump ended up winning up by so two. So that's, this is, these are the fun things also to that look is at. Is the margins, the actual polling average, the day of. And it does look like both DeSantis and Rubio. DeSantis actually outperforming a little bit his polls. They had him up by about 10. He looks to be winning by almost 15. But Rubio dead on at 12 in Florida. That's a win, actually, for the polling industry, I think, so far. So we should celebrate some of the little wins before we get on the dunks. I do find it interesting, though. I mean, just it, it, look, let's all let it sink in. Florida's a red state. That's crazy. We've also got a, uh, a flip for governor of Massachusetts, Correct. which had been a Republican, again, a blue state where right. Republican was governor. Now you have Democrats flip that one as well. Similar dynamic yep, where you had right. an extremist candidate who was nominated by the Republicans and made this an easy win ultimately for the Democrats. So similar dynamic in Massachusetts as you ultimately had in Maryland. By the way, what did you think of that political strategy, if Which you one? can call it that, where Democrats would prop up the more extremist Republican candidate? Because as a matter of principle, I think it's a messed up thing to do because you're rolling the dice mm-hmm. with these people who you admit are like a threat to democracy and flat out authoritarian. But like in terms of the actual strategy of it, I mean, if it's effective, it's like, I kind of see where they're coming from. So it's you know effective with a very, very high consequence, right? So right. if yeah. Bolduck wins tonight, that's, that's going to be a big, big screw up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was the Mastriano one of those propped up? Mastriano those? was. So but that, that's why it's a mixed bag. It's one of those things where if it works, yeah, it's smart strategy. If it doesn't work and you end up with Bolduck, uh, the Bolduck literally in the United States Senate for six straight years, well, you have a serious problem. Well, and this is where it's yeah. tough, too, because yeah. it seems that the bit, and this is, and this is why Mastriano has been a, super hurt yeah. by the election denial issues. Governor from an election denial perspective matters way more Especially than a senator. Right? Because they um, appoint the secretary. Yeah, of so but that's only. the so that, that's the kind of the key differentiator there. But look, right. I, th- I think the problem of the thing that's I'm curious what the two of you think about this, because this is this gets the difficulty of like the Democratic Party, because Kyle, you're like, Democrats did it. So like Democratic like political operatives did it. So like it's this weird coalitional politics where you have like so I don't think we have a big, a big answer to, to this thing. It's, it just seems like a bad idea. Because if you believe the election issue is as serious yeah. as you believe Which it I is, really do. Yeah. obviously, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if American democracy is at stake, we could also believe that people would elect Dan Bolduc. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, yeah. I would not like fuck around and find out that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's First F-bomb of the night, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. That's I was wondering. Right. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. Had it wasn't me. Yeah. Biden's yeah. final speech. Right. After he'd already done the one with the red lighting that everybody right. freaked out about and whatever and said they were, what did he say? Semi-fascist? Semi-fascist. Or, yeah, semi-fascist. Yes, right. And then he did Smart. the final election pitch was like democracy is on the ballot. They did the January 6th hearings. I mean, if they believe their own rhetoric that the real dividing line is not even D or R or mm-hmm. left or right, it's whether or not you believe in the basic tenets of democracy. Like if you actually believe that, how do you then go and like bolster a candidate like Don Bulldog or uh, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, that's why I said, as a matter of principle, yeah. you shouldn't do it because like it shows like you're you really don't fire. care, like you're playing with fire, exactly. But also in terms of strategy, you can't deny that they probably would have had way more wins if it was the more moderate Republicans. You know, you made that point before. If it was Glenn Youngkin everywhere in the country, 
Democrats yeah, would be screwed they definitely tonight. Would. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sec- second GOP flip of the night is in uh, Florida 7. So Corey Mills winning there. So that's two net two right now in terms of seats. I expect many more uh, will be coming in. It's really interesting um, in order to consider the Florida results. Also, I'm curious. So get this. Uh, Val Demings raised $72 million <laughs> in that race wow. against Marco. 72. I think we should let the audience let that sink in. I remember when Beto raised $20 million. And I was like, that's crazy. I can't even believe that he raised $20 million like in a week. And his his he ended up against Ted Cruz. With that was competitive. Almost, and that was competitive within two points. I mean, that was the national story. We talked about, Crystal, you and I talked about that ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Beto and Ted, we could not even believe the amount of money that he had in the tank. And Val Demings now outpacing even some of those landmark campaigns of 2018 in terms of dollar fundraising. Very well fundraised, all of these candidates. And she loses the race at 8.01 well, p.m. Kind I mean, of stunning. There is a big story right. in this election about the amount of money. It yes. will be overwhelmingly record-breaking sums spent on this midterm election. One thing that, you know, sort of the, like, Democratic hopium on Twitter that I saw was that Democratic candidates, especially at the grassroots level, they were wildly out fundraising yep. um, their uh, Republican counterpoints. And so they were saying, look, this is counterparts. So this, they're saying, look, this is an indication the Democratic base is more enthusiastic. And so this is one indicator of that ultimately. But, you know, the, the amount of money that billionaires flooded into these uh, races is really disturbing and really disgusting if, again, you actually really do care about, like, democracy and people having a voice and not just being controlled by a bunch of billionaires. So I actually have the specifics on that. Americans for Tax Fairness did a report, and they released it last week. Uh, New analysis finds that... 465 billionaires had pumped $881 million into the 2022 federal midterm elections by October. That's 27 times more than they contributed before Citizens United was decided. So back in 2010, those billionaires only spent $32 million on the election. Again, now it's $881 million. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, it is, it, it's also funny, too, because you know that those set are much more influenced by the hopium of these many of these polls, like the Val Demings in them. And it's just, to watch it all just get flushed down the drain is just really stunning. Some interesting numbers here from Miami-Dade, just to reiterate. 2018, DeSantis won 39%. 2020, this was a big story that we covered. Trump at 43%. 2020, basically near almost 100% reporting. DeSantis at 53 So a 10-point swing uh, in the DeSantis direction uh, away from Trump from 2020 to 2022 and a near like 15% gain to an outright majority in Miami-Dade County for DeSantis there in the la- in just just 4 years which again really is stunning and there's quite a bit uh, I'm seeing pumped out by Republican elites talking about the DeSantis victory the margin of victory outlines how popular his platform is when compared to the Democrats the club for growth which is a major organization obviously battling right now with Trump they went to bat with Trump over Blake Masters they went to bla- oh, sorry uh, over JD Vance there was a big fight there, if we'll all recall, whenever they d- endorsed uh, Josh Mandel. Wow, that's a name I haven't thought about. TBT. In a long time. Thank God we don't have to talk about that one tonight. But 
Anyway, it highlights that there is a major war right now for the quote-unquote narrative amongst Republican elites, the idea of DeSantis 2024. Our respective opinions, regardless, like a lot of GOP elites right now are pushing very, very hard from what I can see I mean, at the idea of him listen, running for president. My view of this is yeah. what I said on Breaking Points the yes. other day, which is like, this is like the more clever version of like the Never Trump movement. Yeah, I agree. It's like, it is. They, they think, okay, well, we tried going straight up against him Mm -hmm. didn't work with like people who would actually repudiate him and be critical of him and like you know call him names or whatever like that clearly failed Liz Cheney obviously not gonna work out this time let's go with someone who's like trying to mimic him and trying to be just like him except for you know maybe a little bit less crazy and not really directly criticize him maybe that will be the thing that will work But ultimately, you still have a working class MAGA base that is deeply committed to Donald Trump. And they may be fine Mm. with Ron DeSantis. They may be okay with him. But this is disproportionate. It's not 100 percent, but it's disproportionately a sort of like elite, highly educated, highly online phenomenon trying to make this guy a thing. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Just to add to that. And this is why I'm fascinated by how the two parties and their incentive systems are different. So – the Democratic Party, this is why Hillary Clinton ultimately beats Bernie. This is why Joe Biden becomes the nominee. Like, your average, normally Democratic voter is like, what's electability? Mm-hmm. Am I super excited by Joe Biden? No. Right. Is Hillary past her sell by date? Probably, yeah. but like, <laughs> yeah. she's gonna win. The Republican base is not voting for electability. Great point. And they've demonstrated ever since 2012. Yeah, Mitt Romney true. was the last time the Republican Party picked their choice off of electability. And that's just the critical difference here. And it seems like the weird situation the DeSantis stands are in is they're basically trying to make an argument that you would make to the Democratic Party. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny point. because, yeah. like, true. right now, the people who are still big-time supporters of Donald Trump after everything we've seen, it is super cultish. Way more cultish than any DeSantis stands on Twitter, in my opinion. I don't know. So in a sense, I don't agree with the analysis of like, oh, we still got this working class base. He's got like QAnon people at this point. Like, yeah, I get it. 30% of the country, admittedly, but like... That's not I, nearly as strong I mean, as it was I, in 2016. What percent of the Republican listen, base listen. thinks that the election was stolen? Right. It's an overwhelming majority. Exactly. I, I understand that. But yeah. again, the idea, I don't buy this notion anymore like, oh, he's got this working class base. Like, oh, the two times Obama voter who flipped to Trump because his job was outsourced. Those people are gone. Now it's people who are trying to figure out what QAnon is saying and they're going to Trump's I mean, what, rally wearing like a, a, a more cowboy hat or some shit. One, yeah, exactly. One ten million more votes. See, yeah, because the one thing, okay, but there's yeah. a lot of things that have happened since then, right? I mean, like January 6th happened and he's gone full authoritarian and every other day he's on Truth Social saying, put me back in or, or let's redo the election. Good, These well, good thing matter. that people are watching Truth Social. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this though. Yeah. I don't think there's an equivalence between these two things, but a narrative you've kind of seen like in the paper recently has been, if you talk to a lot of like Trump voters about the extremism January 6th argument, they'll say, in a kind of what about us way, well, what about like summer of 2020 yeah, right. and the riots? And actually both the parties are extremist and bad. Like, yep. I just think we're in this weird area where it just kind of washed out. I Here's agree the with you though. They thing. say like, oh, oh it was Antifa who did right. it for you? Like, oh, Antifa did it. Or well, actually, no, it was we did it, but we, it was based. And they go back and forth. But you're kind of making my point. It's like this weird... 
contradictory cult that he has around him. I don't view them, I don't think it's like representative, certainly not 51% of the country, nowhere near that. So from what I, well, I'll remind well, again, you, you we're don't talking need about the Republican primary. the electoral college, but- uh, I agree uh, the, up the most, but the, plurality. The other interesting one, actually we haven't talked about this yet, which I found fascinating, ahead of congressional preference. Guys, number 15, please. This is the gender gap. This is something which actually bears a lot of discussion. And yeah. I believe that it will be borne out tonight, especially in those Miami-Dade numbers and elsewhere. Let's just highlight here congressional preference for those who might just be listening. Men with college educated, men who are college educated or more, were had a D plus 16 preference in 2018. Today is R plus 10 with a 26 point shift over four years. That's insane. But then look at it with the no degree. So basically, you continue to have a Republican preference, R plus eight in 2018, R plus 20 now, a 12-point shift. Here's the crazy one, though, with college-educated women. And, Crystal, this gets to the suburban women discussion that we had previously. Dems bet the House that they could try and keep college-educated women. They have it there at D plus 34 in 2018. Now D plus 38, only a four-point shift. And then finally, women with no college degree had a D plus three preference in 2018, a D plus one preference effectively tied today in 2022 with a two-point shift in the Republican direction. So you effectively see massive swings or a tiny swing with women with no college degree. And the only ground that is made up there, Crystal, was women with a college degree and only by four points. So yeah, well, really fascinating from a gender perspective. I do think yeah. that one of the stories we might be talking about tomorrow is a huge gender divide. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think yeah, we may think see right. a massive, uh, because, you know, ultimately, you know, the country is sort of living in these separate media ecosystems, separate mm -hmm. bubbles. They're experiencing this election in like totally different ways. The issues that they're concerned about, that they're voting on are completely separate. The way they're thinking about these issues. I mean, it, it really is almost like the country's on two parallel tracks. And it does seem like, you know, the, the Roe versus Wade uh, being overturned, the Dobbs decision, that also helped to set women in general and men in general on sort of a different track in terms of how view they were viewing this election. And listen, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If you're a woman, this feels a lot more direct, a lot more personal. Mm -hmm. You have like more just like directly at stake in terms of the decision. Of course, there's long been a widening gender divide with Democrats doing better with women in general and Republicans doing better with men in general. But I do think it will be probably particularly stark in this election. Well, yeah. one quick thing, and this is... Um this isn't like a policy endorsement, but it was a course correction the Republicans pulled off, like the abortion rhetoric. Blake Masters, June 2022, once it's clear how devastating the abortion decision was for Republicans in those Kansas referendums, deletes the, you know, national abortion ban from website. So Republicans, and it's kind of interesting that the pro-life movement was this forget, and it shows how calculating this was, like the pro-life movement forgave Republicans really dialing back where they went, trying to turn the debate into like Democrats are the real extremists on abortion. So that was a, that was a, that could have gone a different direction. I that's mean, kind it's, of test case here. It's honestly a sign of sort of political maturity in the pro-life yeah. movement. Very because true. ultimately- Which I did not think they had. They, yeah. I mean, they have been building this machine for decades. They had their eyes on the prize. They knew this was going to be won or lost at the Supreme Court. They created an entire infrastructure. They made the like alliances of convenience with the billionaire class and the like radical libertarian economic mm -hmm. people in order to make this thing happen. They looked at Donald Trump and they're like, this man stands for used to give to 
like pro-life causes, used to literally give to Planned Parenthood. His personal life is a total catastrophe and a disaster. No one would be shocked if that man has paid for one or multiple abortions himself. But they said he gave us the list. He's going to put these nominees on the court. And so am I surprised that they look at Blake Masters like scrubbing his website from his previous abortion language and are like, eh, what are you going to do? Ultimately, he's going to vote the way we want him to and Mark Kelly's not. No, I'm not shocked by that. Pretty interesting. I, I still... I think if they get the numbers, though, they're going to go for a national abortion ban. Mm. This is, the, this is yeah. the test. Of this the is the actually. Year. You know, people what? got pissed when Lindsey Graham introduced his ban. That's true. <laughs> yeah. No. So we actually, we, you know, run in some people with some people who uh, often update us on what are the major pro-life folks saying. They were mad at Lindsey because Lindsey was only capping it at 15 right. weeks. Yeah, exactly. They were like, no, 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 no. They're like, that's not what we're going for. Kyle, I mean, look, if they do, do if they do that, well, I mean, I can just say good luck. Crystal, want to check in uh, with you, your district, Spamberger. Yeah. What do we got? 50% of the votes in. Okay. Uh, we have a silly Vega at 55% and Spanberger at 45% with 120,000 votes, which have been cast so we, far. We uh, what, all right, so, so let ten, me see. So a 10-point margin there. I got to see which counties are in. Here. I've got it here. Are the right ones, because so yeah. this district, the more you get to the north, mm -hmm. the more Democratic it ultimately is. So it looks like you've got uh, Orange County is partially in. That's a very Republican area. You've got Culpeper County, which is kind of uh, mixed. You've got Prince William County, partially in. That's a good area for Spanberger. That's about 28% in. It's still too early to say because you have some key areas down. And for example, my vote in King George County has yet to be counted yet. So oh, we all right. know okay. it's not over until we hear what I have to say at the ballot box. Got it. Okay. <laughs> it's I, the CIA ghoul versus the cop in my yeah, district, by the one. way. Those Go ahead. Pro Can pro I give you guys some, some early voting numbers? And Crystal, you and I were, we talked about this earlier today. Yeah. What's the name of the guy, the Democratic pollster? Uh, oh, Tom Greenberg. Bonier, that oh. guy. Bonnier? Yeah. So with the Target Smart. Yes, ah. with Target Smart. So he said in early voting, the Democratic advantage is 11%. And in 2020, to put it in perspective, it was 7%. In 2018, it was 1%. So before any of the votes that were cast today, Democrats had already built up a 4.4 million vote lead. And that actually leads into another question I wanted to ask you guys. You were talking about the gender mm -hmm. uh, gap here. Do you think that there's going to be a giant like age gap as well? Like, are you going to are are we going to see young voters turn out uh, for Democrats for one of the reasons being that you know Biden did the student loan debt reduction, which yep. ninety percent of the people impacted uh, make seventy five thousand dollars a year or less? Are we going to see basically like politically Biden the Democrats getting rewarded for what they did there? So uh, the only indication that I've seen yet, and because remember that detailed breakdown doesn't come until sometimes even weeks later, was John Ralston was looking at this in terms of Clark County in Nevada. He said actually that younger voters between eighteen and twenty five were not showing up at all, like almost wow. And, uh, only they, at, at one point he only had like a thousand votes even come in um, in that age group, which is he said you know this just shows you young people not showing up to vote again. That was Nevada. That was early vote, but that is the only actual demographic data that we have. Here's an interesting one: uh, Washington Post exit polls from a couple of different states that they put together: New Hampshire, Georgia, and North Carolina. Little perceived differences in the extremity of Republican and Democratic candidates, which gets to all of our questions around candidate quality. In Georgia, they actually verify more were saying that Warnock is ex 
extreme than actually uh, Herschel Walker, given Wa Walker's past position on abortion and obviously his own personal dalliances all being in the news. That just shows you a tremendous amount of uh, political polarization, which we were talking about earlier. So to have little perceived differences, Kyle, this kind of gets to the Trump question we were talking about earlier as to you know all the stuff, which is that in a level of such partisan hatred of uh, polarization, the other side is always just perceived as uh, as is extreme. And I think that that Warnock number bears that out. I find it really interesting. So we do have some numbers very early out of Pennsylvania, 5%. Mm -hmm. And um, I found this dude, Ryan Dito, who is a reporter for uh, a Pittsburgh paper. And he says, in terms of how you interpret these results coming out of Pennsylvania, very likely Fetterman will win vast majority of mail-ins. That's what's going to be counted first. Mm -hmm. Then Oz is going to appear to gain ground as in-person votes are counted. And then Fetterman will appear to gain some ground with late-arriving mail-ins. So just in terms of how yeah. you're viewing these numbers as they're coming in, it's really important to keep those dynamics in mind, not just in Pennsylvania, but all over the map, because all of these states have a different different rules about how and when and where and what they count at what time. So just keep that really in mind as you're um, taking a look at all of this. So far, most of the votes have come in from places that are you know more favorable to Fetterman. You've got a lot of votes in from Philly. You've got a lot of votes in from Pittsburgh, and it is also that um, you know early the the mail in ballot so far. So right. very favorable results right now for Fetterman, but it's five percent in, and it's mostly the mail in votes. So you. You literally have him right now at 85 percent it's i don't think it's going right. to end up being an 85 yeah, percent no kind of a win <laughs> that's really good context there for the swing so we could see a swing fetterman then, Oz, then back to then us back. then maybe yeah. back to fetterman i right. mean that's just i just really want everybody to be patient and not like read anything nefarious into these vote totals changing because it's predictable because republicans have made it a strategy strategy of like we are going to have our voters go to the polls on election day like huh. there is a hard partisan divide between how the parties are approaching these elections and so that's why you may see some kind of wild swings of these vote totals throughout the night and I why frankly like when you look at a lot of these states that we expect to end up being close i mean right now the democrats are up in New Hampshire, they're up in North Carolina, they're up in Georgia, they're up in Pennsylvania, they're up in Ohio. But again, this is the probably in most, if not all of those places, the early mail-in vote, which we expect to be overwhelmingly Democratic, so I wouldn't read too much into any of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and to your point, usually they'll like they'll count all of the ones from election day and then at the end more mail-ins, like you said. Mm -hmm. So this is why they say, there was an article earlier today in ABC talking about uh, there were three states uh, in particular that they say a red mirage scenario could happen. But unfortunately, look, I think we're gonna see people out there making all sorts of uh, bad claims yeah. as a, it, when they say, oh, why, why is the Democrat coming back now that it's two days later? And there's nothing nefarious about it. You know, we're saying it beforehand, just like, you know, in the 2020 election, um, when I was on Joe Rogan's show with Tim Dillon, I was mm -hmm. telling them up front, like, look, man, this is what's going to happen. And Joe says now, like, the only reason he didn't end up going down a bad path with the election is because <laughs> I was there to tell him beforehand what was going to happen. This is good. Wow, See, it's going to unfold. I, I, look, I know no one will heed this, but can we please, please just make it so that we can count 
early votes, like before the day of. Like so many of these state legislatures across the Midwest have made it so that you can't do that. I think personally because they like the chaos, well, but well, because it does it's, us it's all no good. It's lot, so bad for us. It's a lot of Republican yeah, they want legislators yes, they want, that yeah. pass these rules. And then no, they, they like didn't. complain about like, why is it so crazy? It's like, right. you literally made this rule. <laughs> like, go look in the mirror. So, this stuff drives me insane. Did you guys, yes, vote, like, did you guys well. vote early? What's that? Did you guys vote early? I voted early in person. Uh, yeah. yeah. I voted in person today, so, which wow, is scandalous. On, on the actual yeah. day. Yeah, you're, 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 you're legit I literally <laughs> have the uh, I literally have one of the most least competitive districts in the country, so basically. I mean, I mean I'm not normally. They yeah. redrew all the districts right. in Virginia, uh-huh. and so for the rest of my entire life in King George County, it has not been competitive, including the race that I personally ran in. Right. Um, but now I'm in, you know, the Spanberger district, the and Span- so it actually is one of the ones that everybody's watching. That is such an amazing, like the fact the fact that Biden's last campaign stop was Ashburn, Virginia, I just can't get over that. Like for context audience, he won, Biden won that district by 19 percentage points in 2020. So to have to stop over there, you highlighted this. A, he's not that popular, so most people just don't really want him uh, in their district. Well, so also he's terrible. Like he yeah, can't he is bad. speak. I mean, I'm there's sorry. just no way like, around I, it. I celebrate right. some of the policy victories and like yeah. personnel choices, but he's he can't speak. He's a terrible campaigner. So what? They're sending him places where it's like, right. yeah, Joe, go down to Florida and see what you can do for Charlie Look, Crist. <laughs> it's, it's actually really sad, in my opinion, because you got to separate it out, right? There's the politics and there's yep. the policy. Yes. And on the politics front, yeah, Biden's a zombie. Biden's mm-hmm. half dead. Like, you, nobody would want him. I mean, Obama goes out there. I think Obama's record policy-wise is worse than Biden's, but Obama gave Better a speech campaigner. the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it was, I mean, God, I covered it and I was like, I forgot how good this guy was. Listen, uh, from personal charisma, absolutely. We got J. Miles Coleman standing by. Oh, so control room, if you guys want to go ahead and bring him in, just give me a heads up uh, whenever he's ready to go. For you guys remember J. Uh, Miles Coleman, he's joined us a couple of times, works over at Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball. No relation. There. <laughs> no relation. I'll steal oh, your line. Can I tell she you can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. My mom. Right. <laughs> bless her heart. Right. When I uh, I stopped by her house today and she's like, I heard about you on the local news last night. And I was yeah. like, oh God. What, what is happened? It? She's like, what'd you do now? They were talking about you and this guy Larry and their election <laughs> predictions. And I was like, no, no, mom. <laughs> no, mom. Close. Larry yeah. Sabato's <laughs> crystal ball at the University of Virginia. So That's anyway, right. my mother was wish casting that the local news was talking it's about okay. me. It's okay. But breaking points audience. They know what's going on. Uh, Miles, can we go ahead and bring Miles in, guys? You guys said he's ready. Hey, uh, Miles, let's go ahead and put it up, throw him up there on the screen. Welcome to the show. It's good to see you. Can he hear us? Oh, there, there he is. is. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. We, there he no, is. We got you. All right. So, Miles, um, just in terms of the Senate picture, numbers are very early. Are there any is there anything that like tea leaves wise is standing out to you that's giving you any sense of what directions might night might go in? Sure. So one of the sort of early bellwethers I told people to look out for, um, if the Republicans could beat Senator Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, uh, some polls had her in a close race. Uh, from from what I'm seeing, she's overperforming Joe Biden's numbers in some areas. So she's huh. looking pretty good. Uh, so, you know, it's probably not going to be, you know, it could be a good Republican night, but it's not going to be Lance one where the whole damn breaks, right? Yeah, um, and then it's it's uh, what I'm noticing in a state like Georgia, um, as expected, you have Warnock who is overperforming Stacey Abrams by a few points. Uh, we're just gonna have to see if it gets to the point where he can actually win outright and avoid a runoff. 
That's interesting. So, and you, so yeah, go ahead. you feel like in Georgia, you said the question for Warnock is whether he can win outright or go to a, a runoff. You think he's in a, that strong of a position right now vis-a-vis -vis Walker that you think he'll end up with more votes on the night? You know, he could end up ahead of Walker, but he may still be under 50 percent. You know, one mm -hmm. you know, one of my favorite ads was uh, basically Warnock had this ad that, OK, well, uh, you know, I may be one of your Thanksgiving guests. If my race goes to a runoff in December, you'll be seeing more of my ads. So Georgians want to avoid having him over for Thanksgiving. That's interesting. <laughs> Um, another thing that is interesting to me about what you said in New Hampshire is I'm just looking at the presidential results because you said Maggie Hassan is outperforming Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden won New Hampshire easily. Um, he won that state by more than seven points. Uh, the polls had Maggie Hassan. Some of them had her down. Uh, the, the mainstream polls mostly had her up by one, two points. I was very close. So if she's outperforming even Joe Biden's margin, I mean, that's a significant polling miss in a direction that we're not used to getting significant polling misses. Oh, yes. And, you know, just with the usual caveats that, you know, these results are incomplete. Uh, but, you know, one of the things you can keep uh, so sort of looking for um, in our election returns is I think educational polarization or whether you, or not you have a college degree, uh, mm. I think is as is basically becoming as important as things like race or gender uh, yeah. when it comes to how people vote. Well, guess what? Uh, New Hampshire is a relatively more college educated state. Uh, so I can see Democrats holding up better in a state like that uh, compared to one like Florida, where you have more of a working class population. I mean, I mean especially in a uh, especially in a place like my Miami, which is like mm -hmm. awful for the Republic or awful for the damn Democrats. But uh, so, you know, just some you know, it's it's uh, just from from election to election. You can always see some of these larger trends as at play. That's now, fascinating. Um, we are very early in what we're getting in from Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm looking at De Decision Desk HQ right now. They've got five point three, four percent in. Um, my understanding is this is likely mail-in vote that they're counting in Pennsylvania first. Is there anything that you can read into those results? Because that's obviously maybe the race of the night to take a look at. Pennsylvania, I would avoid. No, I mean. Okay, it, <laughs> fair. I mean, I mean, it really wasn't until really in 2020, it wasn't called for Joe Biden until the Friday or Saturday after the, the election. So. I don't think we we'll have to wait wait, wait that long. Uh, but the thing, every state is is sort of different in terms of how it counts its votes. So um, just something to keep in mind. So I think right. in a state like Pennsylvania, they may just be counting all their mail-in votes first. So yeah, what, right. go ahead, Sock. Miles, what do you make of the college dynamic in Georgia that you were talking about, and how will that bear out um, whenever we're looking there? Also in Arizona and some of the other key bellwether states. Yeah, so it's it's uh well it's basically that same group of more college educated white voters who, um, you know, a lot of those voters used to be Republicans, right. uh, like Democrats a bit more now. So to me, the big question is yes, I can see a lot of those going for Governor Kemp, 
but how many of them are going to stick with Warnock and how many of them are going, going to sort of uh, hold their nose and sort of vote for Herschel Walker? Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like, again, these results are very early. Uh, you know, it looks like Warnock is at least matching what Joe Biden got in hmm. the suburban Atlanta area. So that just it's going to be very huh. close. Okay, huh. I got another one for you, Miles. How about North Carolina? Um, I we've got Sherry Beasley, who in some polls, you know, was was running even. I saw a couple polls that had her up over uh, Republican Ted Budd. Right now, you've got 54 percent in there, and she has a sizable lead, 52 percent to 46 percent, roughly. Um, how do they count their ballots? Where are those votes coming from? What do you think of her performance there thus far? Sure. So, no, I mean, I think she's putting up a pretty decent per- performance. You know, something you have to keep in mind of, about North Carolina is they're sort of like Pennsylvania, like we were just talk- talking about. North Carolina is a state that uh, basically reports its early votes first. Uh, and as that election day batch comes in, stuff gets more Republican. Uh, in fact, that's what basically saved Donald Trump. Uh, really, in 2020, right. Joe Biden won the early and mail-in vote, but Donald Trump got 65% of the election day vote, and that's what sort of killed the Democrats there. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, what's, what's uh, you know, what's really interesting is I'm looking at a county like, uh, uh, like this would be Wake, uh, which has the capital Raleigh. You know, that used to be sort of a margin general county. Uh, mm-hmm. Beasley is at over 70% there, and she's probably going to at least get over uh, 60. Um, so, you know, we're really seeing this sort of urban versus uh, rural trend in North Carolina. That's interesting. Miles, uh, as the polls close around nine o'clock and then further, what are some other things that people should keep in mind as some of the information comes in? I'm thinking of places like Wisconsin. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on the Midwest there, also in Arizona. And then even, you know, I heard some rumblings around Washington uh, and mm-hmm. things like that. So any thoughts as we think even more further west of the country? Yeah, it's well, what you have to keep in mind is uh, voting by mail, at least before 2020, uh, has been more of a West Coast thing. So Arizona is going to take several days to count its ballots. So I would just tell people to be patient. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That makes Um, sense. One more for you before we let you go uh, for now, Miles, (laughs) is uh, Ohio, you know, this was a big Democratic hope. This is a state that has trended hard uh, to the right. You know, there were some polls showing Joe Biden having a chance of winning Ohio in the final days of that campaign. That obviously didn't work out. I think Trump won the state by about eight points. Um, In the final days, it seemed like J.D. Vance was really pulling away from Tim Ryan. We're again in a situation where, you know, it's very early. We've got only 19 percent in. Tim Ryan at 60 percent. J.D. Vance at 40 percent. How is Tim Ryan, or can you even tell at this point, running versus how Joe Biden ran uh, in 2020? What I would say is it's actually looking a lot like uh, uh, what we had two years ago, because remember, early on election night, Biden was up about 10 points there. Yeah, that's about uh, where where Tim Ryan is now, Mm -hmm. Uh, only for those election day votes to uh, come in uh, and give it to Donald Trump. So I can see, you know, I, I, I can see Vance Pull pulling off. To me, the value for Tim Ryan, uh, you know, may have been you know, this is a state that Republican, you know, at, at least he made it into a race. 
Republicans yeah. had to spend millions of dollars there just to shore up Ohio. You know, maybe those millions, or had they run a better candidate, could have gone to a state like New Hampshire or North Carolina or Nevada or Georgia, or basically a state that uh, may be more decisive in terms of control of the Senate. Got it. Well, great Miles, points. Uh, we're going to check in with you possibly in another hour. Producers will be in touch, but man, so, so helpful. Super to us. useful. Info. We always love having you on the show. All right. Thank you all. Thank you very much. So uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. I mean, I mean big I'm... takeaways from Miles is that the blowout has not yet appeared. It's possible, uh, could materialize, but given his knowledge of exactly where the election was in 2020, things to look for. The fact that Maggie Hassan outperforming uh, Biden, I'll, I might have to eat crow on this one. I well, really thought that that one might me, be one of the flips. It's not just that she's outperforming. Again, Biden won that state by more than seven points. Right. It mm-hmm. was not close. That's right. <clears throat> this was really coming down the stretch of jump ball in terms of what the polls were saying. So what that is reflecting is actually a miss on Big the polls. Miss. You're right. But underestimating the Democrats, which is something that we saw in a couple of those special elections that got right. Democrats yeah. really, really super hopeful um, mm-hmm. right after Roe versus Wade. So that's uh, that is pretty stunning to me. How much of this is a function of like, you know, there's early voting in a lot of these states and the polls, the further back you go, the more favorable they are to Democrats. Correct. Mm-hmm. So how much of this can we attribute to that, do you think? In New Hampshire? Well, in and, New Hampshire. Anywhere where we're seeing Democrats New Hampshire in particular, you said they don't really do early voting. Yeah, they don't early. do early. They, they don't yeah. do it at all. Yeah, though, yeah right. which was and part of why. Peaked, it's like September. So like voting hadn't quite yeah. started. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, that was part of why Democrats were getting really nervous and Republicans were getting really hopeful about New Hampshire is exactly that dynamic mm-hmm. you're talking about. In a lot of other states, they were able to bank votes while their positioning was a bit more favorable than it seemed to erode down the stretch. But, you know, I mean, what Miles is saying there, and I think it's really important to have a lot of caveats in because, uh-huh. as I try to say every, like, five minutes, each of these states counts votes differently. It's very hard to tell. Are these mail-in ballots? Are they day-of ballots? Like, that could shift everything. That could really change the picture, et cetera. But he's saying in New Hampshire, in Georgia, and in North Carolina, at least— the Democratic candidates are actually outrunning Joe Biden. And in North Carolina, Joe Biden did not lose by all that much. That's I mean, right. that ended up being a very close race. So to be honest with you, I never really bought the polls that had the Democrat in uh, striking distance mm-hmm. in the state of North Carolina. But at least where we sit right now with some 58 percent in, apparently she's really got a shot. That is, yeah, look, it's very interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, my takeaway from Miles is uh, kind of what I expected, which is that it's going to be complicated. I think it's going to be multifaceted. Uh, no, I was not expecting the quote-unquote red tsunami. Uh, in terms of the New Hampshire vote, apparently it's still only 15%. In, so I think that's also the question about early vote, about the mail-in ballots, about when exactly they are reported, the counting. I mean, it has turned into a but bit New of a But New Hampshire nightmare. is the one that must be that should be the most clear That's because right. they don't really have early vote. Yeah. So if he's saying she's outpacing where Biden is, I mean, maybe one thing that could be going on is the places that are being counted right now are the college educated, right. more college educated parts of the state. But overall, as he points out, I mean, New Hampshire demographically in terms of college education is more favorable Dem territory anyway. And so that's kind of consistent with what we saw in that upstate New York 
special election um, and a couple of the other special elections as well, where they happened to be in areas that had highly college educated, where you might have some college towns, there was a huge surge in turnout. And so it would kind of fit um, that you might have that same dynamic in the state of New Hampshire. So, I mean, look, this is the simple question. To what do you attribute this? Assuming it's real for a second, right? To what <laughs> let's do you attribute wait, Kyle. It? I mean, we just don't know, man. I mean, it's like I just feel I'm like here for the spec- come on, let's speculate, Sagar. We on. have to take risks. What's your, yeah. theory? Yeah. What's your theory, bro? If it turns out to be uh, Democrats win George, win North Carolina, win yeah. New Hampshire, uh, no, easily. not win North Carolina. Let's not get crazy. If it if they outperform what the polls are saying and they end up holding the Senate, which right. I think is the best yeah. that they could possibly hope for right. in this yes. situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Abortion. What's your theory? Abortion. It's abortion. Easy. Yeah, it would be abortion. I think it would be the, well, I mean, look, I actually had this pulled up in order to pivot the discussion, but it would yeah. actually give us exactly right. 35% of the vote is in, in the state of Kentucky. Right now, the abortion amendment, which would state there is no right to an abortion or any requirement to fund abortion in the state constitution, is currently the no is leading at 56% in order to make sure that the, so look, you have a Republican state where Rand Paul was literally declared the winner where they are underwater by 15. Look, again, 35% of the votes that are in. I do think that if the Dems hold on to the Senate, it will be 100% attributable to abortion. And Crystal, we will have to frankly say, hey, you know that 100 million or so that you spent on abortion on only? It I guess was it well spent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, that is a big <laughs> if. And I do think we should really hold it, especially with the West Coast. Like, Given the fact that Arizona and Nevada are going to come in so late, some of our discussion just could reflect the East Coast bias. Like, yeah. I, well, do, I do think those also- are really going to change. And it could reflect the early. I, I mean, right. I do like, uh, let's be clear. Like yeah. no one is saying this is the reality that's happening, yes. but if things continue to trend in this direction, I would say abortion is the pivot point, but I would also say, and this kind of ties into the can- candidate quality issue. It's a general sense of GOP extremism mm-hmm. with yeah. these specific candidates. Yeah. I, I mean, I, first of all, to your point, Sagar about Kentucky, yeah. this is why I love direct democracy. Like one of the data points that always stuck out in my mind was uh, when Donald Trump won Florida in 2020, you also had a $15 minimum wage uh, direct ballot initiative passed with 60% of the vote. Right. So, and, and to your point, Crystal, yeah, I mean, look, so you have a Republican Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. And then another thing that stuck out to me after the fact, I don't know how many Americans know this, but it really stuck with me. You had a vote in the House on gay marriage. 157 Republicans voted against it. That's right. Yeah, we covered it here. 195 Republicans voted against a right to contraception. So they want, you know, a state like Mississippi or or Alabama or whoever to be able to say, no, you can't buy condoms. You can't buy the pill. You can't buy plan B. So this is, I mean, look, and this is why I've always argued Democrats need to embrace freedom. They need to be the ones to actually, no, we are in favor of freedom. They are not in favor of freedom. Well, they I've got a candidate who's been using that rhetoric, and it seems like kind of a wash. Like, this is uh, Gavin Newsom's whole play. Like, he's spending right, yeah. a lot of money on um, ads in Florida. But I think that right. the broad thing this gets, I think this gets to why this political moment is frustrating, because Republicans are being rewarded because they're out of power, and our system punishes whoever's in the driver's seat. If Republicans do well, Democrats would do well in 2026 yeah. or 2028 and vice right. versa and vice versa. And if we're looking at previous eras of American politics, you just won. Reagan just won. FDR mm-hmm. just won. Kennedy LBJ just won. And just the lack of anyone just to actually control it 
is the central issue here. So here's an interesting insight from Nate Cohn I was going to bring up that yeah, actually ahead. speaks to J. Miles Coleman's point. He says, quote, so far, Democrats are running ahead of expectations outside of Florida in places <laughs> with a meaningful vote, which may still be contaminated with early votes, but they are running way behind in Florida, so it is almost entirely <laughs> canceling out. So the parenthetical is worth, worth taking seriously, which is that there isn't much that's unequivocally done outside of Florida right now. So early vote contamination could risk uh, risk remains very real in terms of the North yeah. Carolina results and all those things that were yeah. so North let me give North you, Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire, of course, accepted given their uh, unique state there. Let me give you a couple of the specific numbers from New Hampshire, um, because that's the one that's probably the most clean since they don't have a significant uh, early vote. Mm-hmm. Uh in, I don't know any of these towns. So I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher all of the names. Not a big New Hampshire stand. I mean, right. I have no problem with New Hampshire. I just yes. don't know the state that well. That's right. what I'm trying to say here. Okay, Brookline, Biden was plus seven. Maggie Hassan is plus nine. Mm-hmm. In New Ipswich. <laughs> I love New Ipswich. <laughs> I love their name. That sounds delicious, by the way. Yeah. I would love sounds, an Ipswich. Hey, live for your we die. We all love Ipswich. Ipswich. Cool state. I should go. Trump won yeah. by 36. Bullduck is actually outperforming Trump a bit, plus ah, 40. Okay. In Asifi, Trump plus 21, Bullduck underperforming him a little bit, plus 19. In Summersworth, Biden plus 14, Hassan plus 20. In Hillsborough, Trump plus 8, Bullduck underperforming him, plus so Bullduck plus 3. Wow. Um, in the state capital of Concord, which has 94% reporting, uh, Hassan is at 67%. Bullduck is at 30.9%. Uh, so D plus 37 in a town that last time around was D plus 32. So it looks like a pretty consistent trend in New Hampshire. Uh, I got one more for you here in this thread. This is from Ryan Matsumoto, uh, who is a contributing analyst at Inside Elections, mm-hmm. bylines at 538, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, just want to give the guy credit. Um, <laughs> the town of Fitzwilliam, New Hampshire, is now 95% reporting, so very close to all in. Bolduck is narrowly ahead here, 49.1% to Hassan's 47.8%. That's R plus 1.3 in a town that was R 1.2 in 2020. So, Bolduck is not outperforming Trump, but Hassan seems to be outperforming Biden. And this was one of the other questions is like, you know, part of what we've seen in uh, 2016, 2018 and 2020 is that Democrats are super enthusiastic. They, you know, push their margins up in their places, but it's matched by Republican enthusiasm in rural counties, at least in New Hampshire, based on the numbers we have right now. You know, this looks very good for Maggie Hassan and Democrats have to be encouraged that at the very least, they're not going to be facing the red tsunami that they were starting to really be afraid of at this point. So far in what we've seen. So we have a little bit more vote coming from Georgia that I can read off. We got about 48 percent of the vote in. So we're getting a bit of a better idea and it is tightening it up exactly as we expected. Mm -hmm. So we've got 2.1 million votes that are in right now. Warnock is currently at 50 percent. Herschel Walker at 48 percent. And exactly to the point that you made, Crystal, only 1.7 percent of the vote right now going to the Libertarian. So we are talking at a margin here of Really, we got 1,057,000 votes there for Raphael Warnock, 1,019,000 votes for Herschel Walker. So it's a dead heat. I mean, it is close. And the closer and the more that we get uh, to the full counting of, you know, all of the mail-in ballots and absentee and all that counted along with in-day, we are just going to see that it's, I think it's going to take a while Um, uh, in terms of that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah. Can I give you guys an Ohio update real fast? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. um, So we have 34% in. 
and Ryan leads Vance by 10 points right now. Wow. But I will say, mm. this is effectively, this is like the blue mirage yes. scenario yeah, in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it works in Ohio, the yeah. way they count the votes. And so what you're gonna see is, as more votes come in, Vance is gonna close that gap, close that gap, close that gap, and then the question is, will he overtake him, and if so, by how much? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I think it goes to what Miles said, which is that, you know, he was, Trump was down by 10, then the vote came in. Actually, if I recall from Ohio, Trump ended up beating expectations in a historic degree. There was, I forget exactly how to pronounce it. Is it Mahoning, Mahoning County? Mahone. Mahone County, sorry. Oh Ohio. no, Mahoning, you're right, Whatever. Mahoning. All right, um, <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect. Uh, <laughs> the point is, is that Trump won it in 2016, or sorry, didn't win it in 2016. It was seen as a bellwether. He ended up winning it in 2020, which was seen as a big kind of, it was an affirmation of his candidacy because I think there was like some GM things that were going on there. My point being that that didn't come until later in the night. So that's something that we have to pay attention to. In general though, I guess I'm being, this is just a stark reminder of like how long it can take on election night uh, for some of this stuff to come in, especially given the dynamics of the way that people all vote now. We really don't have that many competitive states with all that much to vote in. So I'll just read it off. Pennsylvania is only at 9%. Fetterman is up by 75. So I guess <laughs> if you really want to cling to hope, <laughs> stop the count, I guess, if you're a PHM. But Ohio, you said only 35% of the vote in. Georgia right now is at 49. The real stunner, I guess, is North Carolina, Crystal. You've got uh, Sherry Beasley up by at 50% to Ted Budd's 48%. And that's with about 60% of the vote, which is in. Now, again, uh, you could have the EV vote, the election day vote, it yeah. just comes in massively at the end and it's a total blowout. But I was a little bit closer there than I think a lot of other people had anticipated. For the House of Representatives, just to keep everybody updated, I don't have the official number, but you do have a, a decent amount of flips which have happened here so far. Uh, I guess the, the best one to go with is actually the New New York Times needle, if everybody will remember this. <laughs> oh, I um, remember. The yeah. needle, mm-hmm. the infamous needle. They took it uh, away, right? No, 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 they brought it back. They took it away for a bit. They, took they away did actually bit. bring it yeah. back. Uh, so then they brought it here. Oh no, wow, the needle crashed. Oh, that's actually kind of crazy. Oh uh, really? Okay, yeah. I was just looking at it and it had. Stop the count. All right, two minutes ago I looked at the needle. I took a little peek and it was in toss up. But it was a little bit towards the Democrats, but oh, it was still a toss-up. Right? Yeah, for the uh, Senate. Oh, I was talking about the House. For the oh, for the House, House, it was like House. it was like, like it was lean Republican. Right. No, but it wasn't like likely Republican. Was just over in lean Republican. Does so five thirty eight we have a uh, real time updating thing? No, like that, New York no? Times is the only one. They're the only. Honestly, one. it is very useful, but it is also it crashes all the time, and it's of course, of you know, all the Dems freaking out from 2016 uh, that were saying this. Nate Cohn, by the way, for those who are needle watchers, he says we need to pull the needle off. Louisiana appears to have been coded as. Democratic at some point, adding an extra seat for them. All other estimates would be ineffective. Come on, man. This is, you guys have one job. Come on, you can't, really you can't screw. Man, this is why they took away the needle up. in the first That's, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, right. this is why we can't have nice things. That's yes. conspiracy um, bait right there. Okay, so yeah, it really is. You turn Louisiana blue? Come on. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a few more New Hampshire notes for okay. you. Um, more positive indications for uh, New Hampshire Democrats because it wasn't just the Senate race where they were concerned about. There were a number of congressional mm-hmm. races they were also concerned about. And it looks like uh, Democrats at the House level also outperforming Biden in the state of 
New Hampshire. New Hampshire. So you have uh, Representative Pappas remains ahead in Rochester, which Trump carried. This is from Daniel Nishanian with 86% in. You have Representative Custer in, uh, in Concord with 88% reporting, also running ahead of Biden. So uh, in terms of the, the House seats there, that's also positive news for them. I was also looking at uh, a the sort of uh, ticket splitting Mm -hmm. dynamic. And you've got a pretty, you know, pretty sizable gap, both on the Kemp, uh, the Kemp Warnock voter. You've got a lot of those. You also have a good number of Shapiro Oz voters as well, already in the early vote. Now, uh, again, in Pennsylvania, it's all mail-in. So it's like Shapiro has 83%, Federman has 78% or something crazy like that, which is obviously not going to be the end result. But it shows you even in that early mail-in vote that you do have a significant population of ticket splitters who could end up being determinative in these races. Yeah, that's Man. pretty interesting. It is fascinating. People vote, I, I mean, America. they vote based on vibes, yeah, right? Isn't that really what it is? I, I Listen, Kyle, I made peace with that uh, a while ago. And <laughs> look, to be honest, I like it. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I kind of like it. I, I like being surprised. I like the fact that people are not as into all of this as everybody and that the things that people vote on make them idiosyncratic and truly human. So I, I think that's actually a good story for America, it's a hopeful story. I mean, the, I think the we this was a discussion we were talking about earlier about how the electorate fundamentally changed in 2016. And look, I mean, you can like or dislike how exactly things are trending, but what I like about that, Marshall, is like it just shows that a lot of things are up for grabs in a way that people don't as stuck as we are to see Florida become a red state in my lifetime and to see Wisconsin be one of those places which we now have to watch as a bellwether. Say, I mean, I remember um, Ohio as well. Barack Obama won the state of Ohio. Florida. Obama won Florida in 2008 by three points and he won it by two points in 2012. Ten years later, we're sitting here at the desk and we're like marveling at a 15-point win for a Republican candidate. So it just shows me like actually nothing is static. Everything can change and, you know, it may not change necessarily in the way that all of us necessarily want, (laughs) but they can change and they can change significantly in in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's so interesting because your your point is like the fact that things could change, could be like a good thing. But yeah. like I kind of said earlier, I I want some I want I want someone to win a state they weren't expected to win and then actually be able to have a governing agenda oh, well, that's that enables them yeah. to keep yeah. with yeah. That, that's yeah. like, mm-hmm. basically yeah, the pendulum swinging Marshall. back and forth <laughs> yeah. for 30 years because everyone's just pissed off. Yeah. That yeah. isn't that doesn't feel great. Well, I agree. I, I agree, Marshall. <laughs> this is the, you know, this is another debate Kyle and yeah. I've had like 83 times both uh-huh. publicly and privately but clearly the neoliberal consensus is dying at least among the public it's dead even as they you know hold on to like Joe Biden as president clearly they still hold on to power but what you see in these swing elections is just a rejection of this paradigm whether it's being offered by democrats or being offered by republicans it's like ah to hell with to hell with this, we're going to try something different. And so I think until you have whatever the new paradigm, whatever the new era is actually born and like power consolidated, you're going to continue having these swings. Although, I mean, listen, we have to say, like, if Democrats outperform tonight in the way that might be happening, mm-hmm. if New Hampshire is any indication of the rest of the country, which is a big if and yep. caveats, et cetera, et cetera, we can't deny Normally, the party in power in modern history, they get shellacked Mm -hmm. in the midterms. And I think it is a remarkable indictment of the Republican Party that they managed to look like this should not be in question. You have 70 percent of the country saying the country is on the wrong track. 
You have inflation at very high levels. You have concerns about inflation and concerns about the economy at very high levels. You have a majority of Americans saying that gas prices are hurting them financially right now as we speak. It's like 60-some percent saying this is hurting me right now. You have a president whose approval rating is quite low. It's in like the low 40s right now. You look at those numbers, this outcome should not be in doubt. And so when I look at that, it's not, listen, I'm going to have to give some credit to Democrats and their strategy was better than I thought if this ends up being good for them. But I really think it is a thorough indictment of the direction of the Republican Party, which, you know, really motivated people to turn out to the ballot box in a way that they normally don't in the midterm election to protect the party in power. It is it is actually fascinating to see Dem and Thu- oh, Go ahead. Yeah, I want to yeah. I want to switch to like policy for a yeah. second because we've talked about these previous like midterm elections, right? So we referenced the 1990s. Um, Bill Clinton gets like the first big modern shellacking. And then two years later, the era of big government is over. Right. Like, there's this big correction. Right. 2010. Another shellacking, Obama's ambition just goes away and the presidency goes into defense. That helps you win re-election, but you know, the the hope and change dream is over. What do you guys see as like the not what you want, right? But what takeaway do you think the Biden people are gonna take from let's say this like moderate tsunami we're talking about? Yeah. So culture first. First of all, I love that question because I was transitioning right into the thing I wanted to bring up, which was, you know, let's say the dynamic we're talking about now holds the rest of the night and the Democrats do better than expected. I mean, I really think it just, it proves that if you materially deliver for the American people to any degree, even if it's just a little bit, they're like, oh, thank God, okay, I'll reward you. So Mm. let me make the case real quick, and I know this is an unpopular case. I agree that on politics, Biden is a zombie, he's half dead, not good. But on policy, he's way better than I thought he would be. My, I mean, I had non-existent hopes when Biden's approval rating was 33% and he was doing nothing. I was like, this is what it's gonna be like the rest of his time in office, and Mm -hmm. I'm going crazy over here. Then, what do we get? Biden comes out and pardons weed offenders. He pulls the troops out of Afghanistan. He does uh, an executive order that raised the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, which impacts 300,000 workers who are federal contractors and federal employees. He has a pro-union NLRB, which has allowed this wave of unionization now to sweep the country. He's appointed anti-monopolist Lena Khan to the FTC. She's currently blocking mergers. He does the CHIPS Act, which onshores 350,000 jobs. He does the PACT Act, which is healthcare for veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. He does gun reform, bipartisan gun reform, which includes money for uh, red flag laws, money for school security, money for uh, mental health treatment. He killed Zawahiri, the head of Al-Qaeda. We, you know, inflation's a big problem, but also at the same time, we do currently have low unemployment. Ketanji Jam- uh, Brown Jackson is on the Supreme Court. And then probably most importantly, you have um, the IRA, which lowered prescription drug costs for seniors. Uh, it has a Made in America provision for clean energy technology. There's a 15% corporate minimum tax rate, a 1% tax on stock buybacks. Obamacare expansion now covers uh, 3 million more people. And I mean, look, I only gave you like maybe half the list here. I can go on. But the fact of the matter is, I do think that people, when they get materially helped, they go, Okay, good. Now that's all I want from you. So now I will reward you. I will go vote for your party. Joe Biden should hire you, Kyle. That's one of the most eloquent defenses I've heard of his presidency yet. Look, uh, no, it's, it's look. no, no, no. Well, no I, there's another. There's I, another. There's another. There's another, yeah. there's another interesting takeaway here that I want people because I always, I always get really annoyed when people talk about, oh, like the problem for politics is there's just like a bunch of old people, mm-hmm. um, and you know we that need fewer a, incumbents and yeah. this. Joe Biden on paper should not have done. Anything you just articulate, right? You would look at Barack Obama, like 
He's, I don't think Pete Buttigieg energetic. would have done the things either. Yeah. Right. So I, I, and I, and you know, if you talk to, I get really like red pilled when people say like, man, if we just had a bunch of yellow people, guys like, what, what was his name? Um, the, the guy from North Carolina who lost oh, his. Oh, Madison Cawthorn. Madison yeah. Cawthorn no, is like 25 no, yeah, years yeah, yeah. old. Like, so I, I think, I think or the hopeful. Or like Pete Buttigieg is <laughs> yeah. when I always think of like, God fucking forbid. There's just yeah. something hopeful. I think, I think, I think that's the thing which is hopeful there, which is that individuals matter more than you kind of would think. Mm-hmm. And, well, I think, and, I, and I think there's something. I think there's something there. there I, I don't know what I think on this question. Yeah. But the other theory would be actually that it doesn't have so much to do with Biden as it does with the sort of like shifting of the era. Because if you look at Joe Biden over the course of the, his career, you would not think this would be his presidency. Yeah, he just goes with the winds, right? Yeah. I mean, he he goes with the winds. That is that is what he has always done. Is he mm-hmm. centered himself in the middle of the Democratic Party, tried to center himself in the middle of the electorate, and then done the thing that he thinks that you know that entails with a like basket of cliches and um, euphemisms and whatever from his family lore that he uses as his kind of guidepost. So to me, it's more a sign of the times that he's had a, he has, in certain things, he has consequentially shifted the direction of uh, the country and economics in particular. I mean, the NLRB and the anti-trade stuff in, I mean, not anti-trade, the uh, antitrust stuff in particular, and and has a trade policy that is not unlike Trump's trade policy, no, to be perfectly actually, honest no, with it's you. it's very on par. So, um, so, you know, to me, there's a question of, okay, is that Biden? And he actually connects to an older area. He's more of the New Deal area. He's bringing some of that into his presidency and sort of like digging it up from the depths and his experience and his age is actually a benefit. Or is it that he is reflecting that we're in a different moment in America and that's where some of these policy shifts ultimately come from? I honestly, I'm sort of like on the fence about which one of those things are, but I think it could be, I think it could ultimately be either one. Let me say- Yep. What they want, they won't learn the things that you just said, though, <laughs> even if that's know. true, what they're going to think is abortion yep. and January 6th yep. work. So 100%. that, you know, I mean, they're Can closing one counterpoint. Oh, let me just finish. Their closing pitch was <laughs> I'm chopping at the bit. The, their yeah. closing pitch was democracy's on the ballot. January 6th election deniers. And you know what? They're not wrong, because when you do look at these races like. Part of why Maggie Hassan appears to be cleaning up here is because Don, Don Bulldog is a like, cycle mm-hmm. election denier, right? Part of the reason why you have Democrats, the base of the Democratic Party, so energized to go out and vote and protect Democratic power is because they truly do fear that there is like a democracy-ending potential event if they don't go and do that. And that's why... You do have these midterm elections with much higher enthusiasm for the party in power than you normally do. So, uh, you know, I don't think that they're wrong to look at some of how they went all in on January 6th, went all in on extremism, closed with democracy on the ballot, given that Republicans were elevating so many election deniers. So, uh, I mean, I I mostly agree with what you said. The only counterpoint I would make is... If, for example, we get the numbers on this election and we see that there was a giant surge in young people showing up to vote. Yeah. And I would say, you know what, maybe this has something to do with the student loan debt reduction and maybe right. this has to do with like weed pardons, for example. Yeah. So okay. that's substantive. And then the second point is, even if I grant you the point you made, I do think that, you know, running on the abortion stuff, even though I don't think it should be the whole picture of what they ran on, it is substantive because it's fundamentally an argument for, no, we want to be the freedom people. 
If we're if we're now descheduling weed, that means we want to increase your social freedoms. We're we're the pro-choice party. We want to increase your social freedoms. You know, and again, this is an argument I'd love to see them uh, embrace wholeheartedly because my politics, you can boil it down to I believe in economic patriotism and freedom on the social front, social freedom. And so I think those two things together are, I mean, they're a winner. Could be an interesting thing. Okay, so it is 9 p.m., or it's 9.09 okay. uh, right. specifically, so what let me we lead off everything that has now closed. Arizona, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, are officially closed. It's about to get fun here, people. Colorado, officially closed. Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Mexico, New York, which, by the way, we have to watch because that There's was also race. predicted as possibly closer than people thought, especially with Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul. North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. So well, Georgia, we New York isn't going to count their votes yeah, for like in like nine two weeks. months from <laughs> yeah. now. They'll get around Post to election it. Election so day, they'll don't tell hold us. your breath on Sorry. that one, guys. Post inauguration <laughs> day, they will eventually inform us about <laughs> yeah. the election. Fifty-eight percent of the vote now currently in in Georgia. So Warnock currently at fifty-one percent. Herschel Walker at 47, but there was a big dump from a major Democratic area there. Uh, in terms of the other ones that we should pay attention to, Pennsylvania, John Fetterman stood up there, but only 13% of the vote. New Hampshire holding steady um, at 16. Ohio is at 41. Things are much tighter now. Uh, it's at 51 yeah. and 49 for J.D. Blue Pants. Mirage there, man. Yeah, you know, very, very interesting. And that's true. And the, yeah. But there is an interesting, again, uh, ticket-splitting dynamic in Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, a third of the Ohio vote in. A huge gap of more than 20 percentage points between the margin in the governor's race and the margin in the Senate race. Wow. So you have a lot of people DeWine. who are voting for DeWine. The Republican has already been right. declared victory, victorious in Ohio for the governor's race and then are voting for Tim Ryan. So Let's talk about Tim Ryan. We, we haven't talked about Tim Ryan at all. Like yeah. Tim Ryan thoughts. Oh, I think he ran a phenomenal campaign. And I'm not, I'm really not a big fan of Tim Ryan. I mean, I remember back during the, when he ran for president. Right. Yoga Tim Ryan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meditation <laughs> Tim Ryan. He remember like, when yeah. he was like. He viciously went after Bernie. What if it was like. We don't have to stop yell yelling. about I mean, it or whatever. Stop shirts that said stop yelling or whatever. Oh, yeah. that's right. It was so, right. so cringeworthy. Yeah. You also, don't have to yell about it. He, he signed on to um, the list uh, on the Medicare for All caucus, so he endorsed support for the Medicare for All bill in the House. And then when he was interviewed later on and asked, do you support Medicare for All? He was like, no, I hate that policy. Mm -hmm. And so I have big, big issues with Tim Ryan. But in terms of politics, I think he's run a phenomenal campaign. I think he's been really aggressive, which is something that we don't often see from Democrats. I think he's kind of correctly portrayed J.D. Vance as an extremist and a Trump ass kisser, quite literally. I think he said those words on well, stage. Trump said that about yeah, J.D. Vance. Right. And, then, yeah. and then, yeah, Tim, Tim Ryan, Ryan brought it up and it was up. like, hey, remember when he said that thing? So, yeah. so yeah, I just thought he ran a good campaign. Yeah, we'll, well see. I don't know. And that is the question is like, I mean, clearly Tim Ryan did some starter, things so right yeah. because yeah. he's outperforming the other dude. Yeah, right. I got a minimum. I, mean, I don't even know who this running for. The, yeah. I think it is a woman running for governor for the Nan Whaley. Is that who it Rock is? Rock misgender anyone Whatever. here. So. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm canceled. Uh, anyway, so he did definitely did some things right to be outperforming the other Democrat that he's sharing a ticket with uh, statewide. And then the question is how much of it is like, what did Tim Ryan do right? And how much of it is, what did J.D. Vance do wrong. Right, yeah. What is it that voters didn't like about him, his platform? Do they view him as extreme? Do they view him as out of touch? Did they view him as like, yeah, I mean, it is, it does have this sort of gross feel that you were the guy that was like the principled critic of Trump. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I love you and please endorse me. And basically owes his 
totally owes his victory in the Republican primary to um, securing the Trump endorsement. So, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but it certainly has to be like a little bit of both there. Well, to add to your point, Chris, when it kind of gets into the weird dynamic, it seems like Tim Ryan, because of the way like JD's had to kind of like shift his position around, Tim yeah. Ryan kind of ran, and you almost would think that Tim, like the JD's the incumbent right now, right? The, the, mm. That's how like aggressive like, Tim right. Ryan's being. Like, yeah. and, and I think there's probably like a there's probably a lesson there when it, when it, and this is I think your point on aggression, um, and how like that would make a difference. It might help though because Repu- because Ohio is such a red state, you should treat it as incumbency, so point. it makes it yeah. like <laughs> a little bit more up there. So uh, some interesting call outs: Sarah Huckabee Sanders, press oh, secretary, yeah. yes. officially Arkansas's wow. governor. I so told you I was excited about this Arkansas oh, result. Chuck close. Schumer has now won his fifth oh, term God. to become the New York <laughs> longest <laughs> senator in the history of the state Chucky of New Schumer. York. He's only he's a young oh, man. He's only seventy three. <laughs> so I predict that is not the last election that we will see him. <laughs> By the Spring way, chicken in the Democratic uh, North Carolina, what we were all taking a look at, Ted Budd has actually not gone ahead and pulled ahead um, in the That's race there. It's still me. close, so it's Blue 50 Mirage. and Blue 59. Mirage. Again, we all fell for the Blue Mirage. It's a joke. 68% of the vote coming in there now, and things starting to trend a little bit more in that direction. Georgia, I'm keeping an eye on it. Uh, and no surprise, it gives me great pleasure to say all this. Immediately after the polls closed, Fox News went ahead and called the race for Greg Abbott over Beto O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. It is, it isn't, it's amazing to consider him four years later, right? 2018 was his big moment. He raised more money than God. I remember rocking around, Marshall, that's when we were living in Adams Morgan, and I remember seeing Beto stickers everywhere. He was raising so much money. Anytime I visited Texas at that time, if you landed in Austin, you'd see Beto t-shirts. He was irrelevant in the year 2022. Um, And it's a real fall from grace for him, for Stacey Abrams as well. Like many of the 2018 stars did not pan out at all. Built huge campaigns and fundraising dollars on the backs of that. And look, I mean, it's a, it's a huge failure for the quote unquote, like the, the stars of 2018 who didn't actually win. Well, it's a couple. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's funny. I, uh, like I I live in Austin now, obviously. So like, I've been thinking, there's a very little like Beto energy. Like, Interesting. Very, and it was it, so much in 20 it, it, There's just very little crazy. like Beto energy, like very, I mean, there are signs, but it definitely doesn't feel like the environment. But two, there's a there's a broad lesson. I think Beto was worse on this than Stacey Abrams was. The transition he made from I'm a Texas guy uh-huh. to running mm. nationally, mm. Yeah. there was no reason for him to say, I'm coming for your AR-15. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. And I'm talking about that, we're not talking about policy, yeah. like <laughs> that literal phrasing, yeah. pointing to the camera and saying, I'm doing it, okay, it's over. Yeah. So if right. you're going to be successful, well, A, it's the second thing reviews got people really don't like Ted Cruz. Like, that's like, <laughs> yes. like, so candidate choice really matters, but right. just this, this is, we're debating like the, how much of this is local and national. This shows that there are cases where you can be a Texas Democrat. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can be a Georgia Democrat, but you you have to you can't be thinking of the yeah, president. You gotta pick one. You just you gotta yeah. pick. The other thing is, uh, I think people really got the sense he was so forced on us by the media. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was on all like those magazines? Vanity Fair. Born yeah. to be in it. I was just yeah. born to be born in it, man. <laughs> standing on every table he could stand on for no reason. He did whatsoever. the Times Square Oprah yeah. interview. Oh. Oh and then he started talking, yeah. and people were like, oh. This is what all the hype's about. Like this is this is crazy. And to your point, yeah, if you're gonna run for governor of Texas, <laughs> how the fuck are you gonna say, yeah, yeah, I'm coming to take your guns? Yeah. Any other phrasing? Like I actually cannot think of a go first. Bro, bro, it is. 
Texas. <laughs> That's the one yeah. thing you cannot say in Texas. Yeah. And he did it. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. He was forced on us by the media. And I actually kind of like the fact that Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, overall, their national profile has just absolutely tanked. Because mm-hmm. again, this was the media trying to send up These the heir apparent to the like, okay, well, we'll give you Hillary. And then, okay, maybe Biden at the last minute will give you. Uh, okay, now they're going to try to do Mayor Pete, of course, and Kamala Harris. But like the fact that so many of them have failed spectacularly leaves me hope that there's still room for like a candidate Obama back in 2007, 2008, who kind of came out of nowhere and just captured the imagination. Like, why couldn't Warnock do that in, in a presidential race for the Democrats? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so I think uh, Kamala is another one that I would put on the list of failing spectacularly, right? Like, oh, I agree She might that, be sure. vice president. Yeah. And but they're still try to force they her. They might try to force her because yeah. they don't, don't feel like they can actually. get past the like first black woman vice president. Uh, we we kind of, you know, have to go there next. Um, but she's obviously already failed spectacularly in terms of how the public feels about her. So, yeah, I mean, the, the whole theory of the Democratic Party is like, OK, let's just let's find the next Obama. Let's find someone who's, you know, sort of like parrots his way of talking yeah. and his speech patterns. And let's just like put them out as this is the next one here Congratulations to all of all of you. We have bestowed Beto and Pete and Kamala and Stacey Abrams upon you. And, you know, it's no accident then that all of these media creations who really didn't have a lot of any like vision or substance or like charisma of their own to back it up, that they ultimately sort of fizzle out. So it's and it's a different thing for the Democratic base that was very excited about Stacey Abrams in Georgia last time around, very excited about Beto O'Rourke. But they also didn't really have a chance to sort of examine them at that point. You know, it was like they were excited about the dream of winning in Mm -hmm. Texas. The other thing I would say about that is, you know, I think the Democratic like Texas hopium has also significantly cooled and dimmed Mm -hmm. dramatically because of the shift in Latino voters to Republicans. So, you know, the dream there always was you'd say, look at all these Latino voters. And if we can get them to turn out and we just need to register and vote and we get them to the polling places and they'll vote for Democrats. And now it's like, will they vote for Democrats? (laughs) No longer clear. And in the Rio Grande Valley, as we have talked about, many others have talked about as well, huge shifts to the right. So that has kind of killed that's put a, a real damper on the democratic dreams in Texas for the moment. Well, yeah. it's one of the things that it's also killed because the real the way this, you know, Latinos, like black men specifically going more for Republicans from 2016 to 2020 was talked about was this is just like Trump. Mm-hmm. Right? If you were to build a guy mm-hmm. in a lab who could do better with minorities than let's say Mitt Romney, it really would be Donald Trump. The fact that Republicans are able to pull that off when Trump is not on the ballot, that's really the dream of their specific. Because the hope, the copium was, okay, let's get real. It's Trump. No one's shocked at that. But when generic Texas, like boomer Republicans pulling that pulling that like off. Like Myra Flores, like yeah. whenever she won in her race. And actually, I mean, I expect some of that data to come out of Texas. I'll be watching that very closely. Uh, so a little bit of an update. Vance has actually pulled ahead in the state of Ohio at 50.3% of the vote to Tim Ryan's 49.7 as we get more and more. And North Carolina, similarly, Ted Budd continued to maintaining the hold, although still only at 49.4 no. yeah. and really? 48.6. That's wow. what 69% of the vote Okay. In. So uh, I think a lot of the red votes are beginning so I've got a John Ralston uh, update out of Nevada. Nevada. So this is the guy, yeah, he's very well known. He has a great track record in Nevada in terms of predicting what the outcome is going to be. He watches the early vote. Nevada has long had a sizable, like, early mail-in vote. So he looks at, okay, what's the partisan breakdown? How much Republican? How much Democrat? How much of a Democratic firewall? Whatever. So 
In advance of election day, he actually predicted that Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat, would hold on and win and that the Republican would win for governor. Then he started to see the votes come on on election day and was like, oh, I might need to really take that yeah. one back. <laughs> so where we are now is he says, <laughs> I've just confirmed that whatever mail has been dropped off today is not going to be tabulated tonight in Clark County. That's where Las Vegas is. Oh, Overwhelming boy. bulk of the population oh, no. is like the whole ball game is Great. Clark County Good. in Nevada. Yeah. May take until <laughs> Thursday. Oh, no. What will be tallied tonight are Election Day in person and all the early mail votes already in the system, save oh. for provisional ballots. So he says it is very likely the top of the ticket Republicans will be ahead be after ahead. tonight with thousands of mail ballots still uncounted. Will they try to declare victory even though the races may not be over? What do you think? So, Oh, my God. Uh, could if be, it was Carrie Lake. We know what would happen. We know what would right. happen. But we don't know in Nevada. Laxalt is a little bit. He's he doesn't, he's, he's, he's not yeah, a, he's more of an establishment guy, like moved to the state a couple years ago. He's more of like a rich guy uh, Republican. So I, I'm not so sure that that would happen. I don't know anything about the gubernatorial uh, Republican yeah, that's gubernatorial right. I, I don't know. nominee in the state. So anyway. Just a uh, heads up that that one we... That's going to flip, man, and that's going to feed a whole bunch of... We will probably uh, not know tonight. And yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be clear. Maybe it'll be Republicans are up by well, a whole lot and well, it's wait, basically he, over. Didn't he predict Democrats that Cortez Masto was going to hold on to receipt? Yes. He, okay. His initial projection. His initial now projection he's pulling away a little bit. Yes. Right. Okay, un understood. But let's say right. there's a tiny lead for Republicans and you still have all these uncounted Clark County ballots. Yeah. That's going to flip to the Democrats and that's you're going to have like 17 Dinesh D'Souza documentaries coming out. True. Yes. Well, Facts. That's yes. fun. It's fun to live in America, isn't it? Mules. But I mean, I just, I just, like, ten trillion mules. Listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you wouldn't name it that, wouldn't you? That's a good one. So I mean, I do think it's worth saying that uh, other countries do manage to count their ballots, even with early vote, mail-in uh, ballots, and whatever on election day. Yeah, and Brazil, remember it, that? Yes, yeah. Brazil. We knew who won like oh, right yeah. away, and we're talking about you know like. People voting in far-flung places—it's a big country. Whatever. I have a love-hate so relationship. Yeah. I, I just—you know—we should—we should get our act together a little better on this. There's I, no reason you have to wait till freaking Thursday to count these ballots, guys. Come this on. This is a good one for the panel, guys. I have a love-hate relationship with federalism, and some things I love it, but like on election. And look, I get it, everybody. Like why it isn't designed this way, but it's a pain in the ass. Like, I Mar agree. And, you know, and I also talk about this with Republicans. Marshall's actually the one. I remember I was at your house uh, when you guys were all voting, and everybody in Oregon votes by mail. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's it's actually, they have much higher turnout. It's actually a lot easier. I understand like, drop, drop boxes, all that stuff. Oregon and Washington like seem to have figured it out. They have way higher voter participation. It seems like everybody in the state likes it. And I'm not even saying necessarily voting by mail, but I was thinking about it today. And I'm like, if I can log into my bank account with a text message, and I'm like, why is this so antiquated? Like so many other functions of our lives like don't and have modernized in a sense where voting just seems to be a shit show every single time. Uh, that we cover it. And you know, Crystal, you were, uh, some of us saying is like, it seems to have gotten worse. It does seem to be ever present. Yeah. Like, you know, with 2000, even 2004, if I recall, I remember going to bed um, on 2004 election night and people saying, well, we're not going to know Ohio for a couple of days. And I don't think John Kerry conceded until the day after. So anyway, yeah, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, 
so I voted in Austin on Friday. That's yeah. my first. I've always just done drop off like mail right. ballots. Right. I waited like an hour in line, <laughs> and I was I was early. I, I basically the answer is I actually cannot talk with Republicans yeah, yeah, about right. this issue because yeah. Oregon it's been vote by mail forever. I'm sort of like this is crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't. It's kind of I don't know. It's just it's just sort of like I think it should be pretty like straightforward to vote. Yeah. I agree. It should be. Uh, it should be. And to count, It by should the be way. federalized. I mean, I see that with it's just. I know it's not going to fly, it's, but I mean. If you're designing a system from scratch, obviously you're going to have the same rules everywhere. Right. Well, you're not I mean, going to be like, well, in this state, we count using donkeys. That, I mean, that is also why I do want to say that some of the GOP talking points on this stuff drive me insane. It's a storied tradition. To, to get <laughs> donkey to, ballot count. Right. But to How get, dare you take that away from Get me. back to the GOP legislatures. They're yeah. the ones who pass laws saying you can't count early vote until election day. Yeah. Like, why? Why? Uh, okay. We do not let need me play, this shit. Let me play devil's yeah. advocate. Don't do that. I don't even know yeah. that I agree with this position, but somebody's right. got to take it. Um, So if you did have the federal government basically overseeing the entire election infrastructure, it strikes me as likely that that would feed more conspiracy It definitely would. You're right. No, you're right. But Kyle, 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 I think Kyle, not just speak for you, but I think you put it accurately, like normalized standards. So like maybe it's that like you have eight days of early voting or this is that. I I think there'd be... I guess the I guess the, the philosophical question like I think people should think about is like is our responsive like is is our election system like not responsive enough or should it be like more responsive? I think we should have more people voting. Like I think that I think that's oh, totally a good agree. thing. Totally One of my agree. favorite things, the Knight Foundation, I start talked about million times so forgive me everybody is the 100 million american project where they talk about the 100 million americans is the computer okay it's all right fine. okay <laughs> just like, just like it's a microsoft surface it's, 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 doing doing it's not water it's different than water uh, <laughs> it's just trying to don't worry death over there anyway uh, <laughs> one of my favorite studies the 100 million americans project which talks about the 100 million americans who don't vote and the vast majority glenn greenwald actually was tweeting about it today the vast majority of people who don't vote are working class um are people of color and most of them just think that their vote doesn't matter at all. It's sometimes they're if because you know people will ask, well, like, is it too hard to vote? And they're like, nah. They're like I could if I wanted to. They're like I just don't care. Um, and that is something where look, we seem to have very high turnout today. I think that's great. But if you peg it to our historical standards, it still seems to be incredibly low. Even um, in 2020, we used to have much higher voter participation in this country. Yes, I know not everybody could vote um, and all that. But if you look, you know, in other developing and Western countries. Even put aside the whole, like, it should be a national holiday, et cetera, discourse. People there just seem to care a lot more. I do think that's something that I don't even know if that's a federal problem that can be But, you know, I mean, Trump has driven up turnout. No, he certainly has done it. And it hasn't been good for the country. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) I would um, like turnout to be up, but for less horrific reasons. I'll take more turnout. If anything was going to—I actually understand voting being mandatory even more than I understand, like, jury duty being mandatory. So if you're going to make anything mandatory— I'm so against that. Not voting is— By the way, I'm not saying I'm for mandatory voting. I'm saying if there is anything that you can make a good argument, that should be mandatory. It would be that over jury duty or anything else. All right, I've got a joint— Georgia update. Hit us. Okay. I'm pretty surprised by this one. Uh, at this point, with more than half of Georgia ballots counted, this is per Greg Bluestein, who we've had Love on uh, Rising and on mm-hmm. Breaking Points as well. Uh, Republican Governor Kemp and Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock have almost an equal number of votes. Wow. Whoa. Warnock and Kemp, mm. equal number of votes. That is astonishing. I mean, they're off by, I mean, it, it's very 
very so, little that there's a, a difference here. So. Herschel Walker's underperforming Stacey Abrams. Correct. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, actually, Herschel yeah. Walker right now, and this is because in the Senate race, there is a libertarian candidate who's garnering about two percentage of mm -hmm. two points of the vote right now. So Herschel Walker actually has fewer votes than Stacey Abrams. That is crazy. Wow, yeah, that is it really crazy. does show. I mean, look, this again could be the candidate quality. At the same time, it's only fifty-six percent. What? What's yeah, the rule about on. Georgia? We know Brian Kemp is going to win. No, I, I, I agree. So if you've got Warnock running equal with him, That's this is crazy. looking to yeah. me like the question isn't who comes out on top; it's whether they he avoids a runoff or not. Great point. But then in the fifty-fifty. Oh, go ahead. I have a call. Hit us with a call. JB Pritzker. Oh, big boy, <laughs> big boy Pritzker has been reelected yeah. as Illinois governor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is a this is somebody who you know certainly thinks of himself as a potential presidential candidate in yep. the future. This is someone who, uh, similar to Gavin Newsom, although not quite as overt and shameless, um, has made some moves to try to position himself in the eventuality if Biden doesn't run. I think he would be one who would run. He also happens to be a billionaire. So, uh, you know, that never hurts in terms of our uh, political system. Hey, and it's Michael Bloomberg. I think I think it's probably not. Like, actually, <laughs> not a, I, I, I actually have to have money, though. He would not have been on the debate stage. That's yeah, correct, I, yeah, I think being a billionaire probably hurts you as a presidential candidate. Candidate. Um, I think I think I think it causes an insularity and just like the things that happen to you if you're a billionaire. You know, I know, obviously, I, I think it, I think it's bad. I think you want to be like in the hundred million. Okay, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a sweet spot. He's getting reelected tonight. Most likely. <laughs> well, the funny is, thing, yeah. the funny thing about Pritzker is like um, there was a moment in online discourse where progressives and lefties got like super excited about this guy, right. and there was like a whole thing, and it was really because he just like ran on a couple things and then actually did them when he became governor and the bar was so low that they were like, oh my God, we love know, this guy, amazing. he's amazing. By the way, one more call, Jared Polis has been re-elected governor of Colorado. Governor of Colorado. Wow. Right. Another okay. guy positioning actually, himself. Actually, you know, that, that is an important point because in the red tsunami scenario, they actually thought that Polis was possibly Was vulnerable. So that, oh, is an important, that is an important data point to shout out for everyone. Also, Michael Bennett there with 38% um, is at 38%. Reporting is up by 60 to 40, which is pretty remarkable um, for what we have there. Wow, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty stunned by those numbers, the Georgia numbers, because we got two-thirds of the vote in from Georgia I, I so far. I am very surprised yeah. that Warnock and Kemp are running even. I yeah, think you're right. I, I think not, that's a big takeaway. I did not see that coming. And that, again, wow. I mean, that seems like, again, polls— underestimating the Democrats a little mm -hmm. bit That's in the right. state of Georgia. So, all right, we'll keep an eye on it. In the meantime, we've got our great friend, Jay Miles Coleman, is back to tell us what he is making of these numbers. Great to see we you again. You, we missed you, um, So we were just talking about Georgia. I, uh, Greg Bluestein, uh, who's with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, just tweeted out that Warnock and Kemp are running even in terms of the number of votes they are getting, which is something that really surprised us. I mean, how is Georgia looking to you at this point? Yeah, well, someone who I also think had a really, uh, uh, really good tweet is Nate Cohen at the New York Times. He's like, well, other than Florida, it seems like it's a decent night for Democrats. And yeah, right. In state, like, uh, one county I'm really looking at in Georgia is called Clayton uh, County, really south of Atlanta, majority black. Um, in the 2021 runoffs, I think Warnock got about 89% of the vote there. He's at 88. So, wow. I mean, Warnock is definitely holding up very well. Uh, so, you know, 
it's it's going to be an interesting kind of ticket split that we're seeing in Georgia in favor of Warnock and Kemp, which is quite interesting. Yeah, lots of ticket splitting going on. Uh, what are some other things that you're taking a look at, Miles? Give us some of your your insights, some of the big things flashing across your radar that you think the audience should know. Sure. So earlier we were talking about how you know sometimes you have to be a little patient when looking for some when waiting for some of these results to come come in. Uh, you know, last we talked, Tim Ryan was up in Ohio. Uh, looks like JD Vance has taken the lead there very so lightly. Uh, one thing in the House that sort of caught my attention um, is a lot of Republicans were very excited about picking up a seat in Rhode Island. Uh, they had a good candidate in Alan Fong. Um, Fong, it looks like he lost that seat in Rhode Island. Uh, so ah. it looks like overall, it looks like you know it may not be as much of a red wave as you know maybe red rain. You know, as, I- Peter, as Peter Gabriel said. Yeah, I've got another one here, which is uh, CNN at least has projected that Jennifer Wexton is going to hold her seat in uh, Virginia's 10th congressional district. Now, of the uh, districts that were vulnerable in Virginia, of the Democratic districts that were vulnerable in Virginia, I think this is the one where Biden had the uh, largest margin, correct me if I'm wrong. But they the worry was if we really were in like a red tsunami kind of a year, even a Jennifer Wexton could end up losing her seat. Sure, that's something you saw within the last few weeks is that there was all this talk of these, you know, Biden, you know, this is a seat that Joe Biden won by 18 points. So, you know, if a seat like that is in play or even clips, you know, that's going to be the sign of a really good night for Republicans. Uh, one other thing in Virginia uh, is it looks like Abigail Spanberg, uh, who has a more marginal seat, a seat that Joe Biden won by only six or seven. Uh, she's only slightly down now, and it looks like there are more early votes out that are going to be more fan-friendly to her. Um, so it looks like the Democrats are very going to, are very likely going to go two for three seats in Virginia. The only one they lost was Elaine Loria, who, you know, that that's just a tough seat. Um, so, you know, I think if Spanberger lost in District 7, um, that Republicans were on track to gain over 25 seats. That doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's going to be the case. Wow. So what would you what would you put it at now? I actually live in that Spanberger district, so I know it decently well. But yeah, what would what would you put it at um, at now in terms of where you project Republicans may end up in terms of the House? Yeah, no, it's hard to tell, but maybe about 15 to uh, 20 seats. So you know they're going to have a comfortable majority, but it's not going to be. No, it's not going to be like 250 seats or anything. Like. That's fascinating. Wow. I mean, that really doesn't stick. I mean, look, I mean, we're there's a lot of surprises, like you said. Other than Florida, it looks like a better night than expected. So as we're beginning to move west on the map, Miles, are you seeing anything yet that we should know about Wisconsin, about Texas, um, or about any of the Midwestern states that could be noteworthy? Uh, you know, it looks like you know it's mostly the early vote that that there. Uh, it looks like Governor Whitmer is ahead. Uh, she's someone who, um, you know, if she lost, you know, that would be a very big upset for the Republicans. But, uh, you know, just one uh, to sort of watch. You know, earlier you were talking about, uh, you know, right before I came on, I think you were talking about Colorado, uh, where Republicans talked a lot about unseating Senator Bennett. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he's probably going to be in decent shape at as, as well. So, you know, again, just not a super Republican night. Uh, they may end up underperforming expectations. Uh, talk to me about Pennsylvania. I know it's still very early. 
I know we likely, I mean, I know we have a, a big Days. blue mirage there <laughs> right now. What do you make of the uh, ticket splitting that is going on there with uh, Shapiro outperforming Fetterman? Yes, I'm very glad you brought that, that, that up. In fact, that's why Pat Toomey uh, was reelected in 2016 to the, the same seat. Uh, what, what I'm really watching is the collar counties around Philadelphia. Uh, this isn't an area that Oz has to win. He just has to come close. Uh, in 2016, the collar counties around Philadelphia went to Hillary Clinton by, I think, 10, 15 points. Pat Toomey only lost them by five or six. So, you know, he kept those types of counties closer. Uh, so that's in Pennsylvania. That's an area I'm really watching. Hmm. That's really interesting, Miles. So we've, we've seen a couple of initial calls by Decision Desk and others for Brian Kemp in Georgia. That's what I was just taking a look at. I know it's too early uh, necessarily for you to say, but would we then look at Kemp's vote total vis-a-vis -vis Warnock? Is that looking pretty good for him? Is that a takeaway that we could say? Yeah, I mean, I would say it looks like, you know, again, I can see there being a lot of ticket splitters between Kemp and uh, Warnock. Right. Uh, interestingly, in Georgia, one thing that caught my attention uh, is it looks like someone who's performing even better than Kemp is Brad Raffensperger, who was their secretary, who is their secretary of state. You know, he's uh, one who wouldn't, uh, you know, who, who uh, after the 2020 election, Trump was like, you know, hey, could you find you know, 11,000 votes for me? Um, and Brad Raffensperger stood up to a Trump. So I think it's interesting. You may have some Democrats who say, no, we don't normally vote Republican, uh, but we like that Kemp and Raffensperger, uh, hmm. they did their job and stood up to Trump. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what can you tell us, Miles, about the history here? Because, you know, one of the things that was really going against Democrats hard is they are the party in power and the party in power usually does not do well in these midterms. Um, and so, you know, they're still likely to lose the House. I mean, they're almost certain to lose the House. So it's not like this is a great year for them. But if they hold on to the Senate, uh, which they certainly, you know, are in position to have the potential to do at least, that would be a, a sort of a victory in and of itself and certainly a lot less than what Republicans were hoping to get out of uh, this day. You know, how unusual is that historically? And what can we say about what may have contributed to an unusual dynamic this election year? Yeah, it's it's uh, I think in something like the 40 midterms since the Civil War, the president's mid uh, the uh, president's party almost always loses seats. Um, the two exceptions were in 1998, or uh, two of the most recent exceptions uh, were in 1998, where a lot of people didn't like how the Republicans were trying to impeach Bill Clinton. That kind of uh, back backfired on them. Uh, and in 02, where uh, George W. Bush was really riding high after 9/11. Uh, you know, I think what could make this year, you know, maybe something of, of an exception uh, is Biden, by most measures, isn't a popular president. Uh, but the Supreme Court uh, isn't popular either. And that's kind of controlled by uh, mostly Republican appointed justices. One thing I was uh, one thing that I think is maybe making this election different um, is we sort of touched on this earlier, but Democrats tend to be gaining with college-educated white voters. 
uh, they tend to vote at the highest rates. Right. Um, in 2010, I think the Republicans carried the co- the, co- the college white vote, excuse me, uh, by 60-40. Uh, in 2018, the Democrats won that group by about eight points. Uh, that stuck in 2020. Uh, so their gains with college-educated whites, who are a higher propensity voting group, uh, may be helping them in some of these key races. That's really interesting. Okay, so what are some other things people should take a look at as the night progressive miles? Is the night very young? Um, is it? Are we learning things? Where Where would you put us in terms of where we are going to be? I would say it's quite young. I mean, yeah, I, I so would too. go back. You know, I mean, not to be selfish and stick to my home state of Virginia, uh, <laughs> but just the fact that it looks like Democrats are going to hold two of those three competitive seats there. Uh, that to me is a pretty good sign that this might not be as big a Republican night as some people were expecting. Yep, I think that's the that's the only takeaway that we can really come away with right now. It was great talking with you, Miles. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, sir. You were fantastic. Yeah, super, super helpful. Thank you, Miles. All right, thank you all. Absolutely. So while he was talking, reflections, takeaways, what do you guys think? So I want to ask you guys a question. Yeah. This, this popped into my head as I was listening to him talk. Remember when Mitch McConnell was getting in that back and forth with Rick Scott. Yes, I do. Because Rick Scott released an agenda and said, we're going to run on this. And like 70% of it was like terrible. terribly unpopular. Right. Right. So my question for you is, yeah. was Mitch McConnell correct in that basically the Republican plan should have been everybody shut the fuck up? Yeah. No, he, no. Uh, the, the, yes, this is, I this think he was. Thing, like, yeah. And this is why Republicans will be, this is why Republicans were in trouble when Trump was president. You shouldn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you, you actually you should just be like things are bad. We have this like vague thing to make them better, um, because if you say, "Oh, worried, are you worried about inflation? You're worried about energy prices? Is the country's vibe off? We're gonna cut social security." That's not a good message. So right. that's like that's the you kind know of obvious. Fix your inflation, yeah. cutting, cutting social security. security. <laughs> it certainly would. Let's give it to them. It would fix inflation. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, if they had run yeah. Glenn Youngkin type. Plain vanilla, wearing the sweater vest, right. inoffensive rich dude. <laughs> Goldman Sachs banker. <laughs> Wasn't he Goldman Sachs? Carlisle Group. Carlisle. 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 He worked hard for also, that. also like, had investments in <laughs> yes. Carlisle, so yeah, he couldn't even make the case against him. Anyway, if they just run like bland, no record having, like put him through the primary. And this is what they did with Youngkin. He didn't mm-hmm. have a normal like voters go to the polls primary. He was basically picked by Republican elites. Didn't have to say much about anything controversial. And, you know, if Republicans had candidates that were like that in all of these Senate races, I think we would see a different result. But I also think the way Miles put it is very interesting because effectively throughout history, typically party in power does poorly in the midterm elections. But what he's saying is effectively because the Supreme Court made this really dramatic decision People didn't have the sense of like, Democrats are in charge of everything. They saw there was this other power center that was actually controlled by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying that's what made this historical situation potentially a little different is because it didn't actually feel to voters like there's just one party that's controlling the country right now. I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. It is really interesting. And, you know, I, just to try and piece little signs together, you know, given the fact that it is early, yeah. to not have those two Virginia seats go red is somewhat of a bellwether on top of you have NBC News now 
calling the race straight up for Michael Bennett only what? So it's you know, not even close. 30 min- right, so it's not even close. And as Dave Weigel puts it, this does not seem like a midterm electorate that's going to bounce Patty Murray or Michael Bennett. And I think right. that's an important takeaway, right? Which is that that's the quote, red rain. That's the quote, uh, that, that it shows you that- The red puddle. The, re- the red puddle. The red puddle. Uh, which is that I thought there was, a, let's say 10% chance. I think that I said that on the show. I thought there was a 10% chance. And I'll- my emotional leanings were genuinely putting me there, but I was trying to be objective about it. I was like, you know, I think there's a chance Patty Murray could uh, could could lose, right? And I was telling you before, I'd heard rumors this, this morning she's worried about it. They were saying, look, guys, it's going to take a long time. I don't think she's as in danger, given the Michael Bennett vote, given the electorate that we've seen in Virginia. And that is just going to be a really interesting, multifaceted takeaway for everybody. Because, Crystal, one could make the case, and I think you're right which is that if the Dems do hang on and they do better, especially if if, if Warnock wins, I mean, I think that's going to be a tremendous uh, upset for them. It really will be one of those where it would be a vindication for the abortion-first messaging. And I think that will be the absolute takeaway uh, for the MSNBC kind of left, very convenient, you know, for the centers of power. That's going to be a fascinating thing, though, because in some ways it did work. Some of what you talked about, Kyle— Look, whether it's true or not, they're not going to talk about it. So yeah, you know, I, agree. It's like, I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. Whether whether it is true on um, that front or not, I don't think it will necessarily. I also think it will be a vindication of the Dems talking as much as they are about democracy. Again, whether or not it is even true at the ballot level. So trying to think now about the meta takeaways from what we generally see things are going on tonight. We don't yet know if it's very early. Obviously, Arizona, I still expect to be, you know, a really crazy one that we're going to have to follow for days on end. Same thing in Pennsylvania, etc. Let's put that aside. It is interesting about what the meta debates will be, because from what I can see right now on the right, there's only one thing coming out. Florida is a red state. Really? It's like, okay, okay. well, that's so great. They're, they're yeah, playing but, up the positive. But they're not, but they're not celebrating really okay. anything else. So that's kind of interesting to me. Okay. I want to know if you guys think this is a crazy thought, but like in a way, I kind of think this might be a rebuke of Trump. Because Trump is still the shadow, like, you know, leader it's of possible. the Republican Party. And every time he pops up in the news, it's for some psychotic thing that he said or did. And I do think that there at some point. There was a breaking point among the American public. Obviously, he didn't get reelected in 2020. And I feel like he's only steadily in the eyes of the normie, the moderate, the independent, the average Joe and Jane. He's gone down and down and down in their estimation. And to the extent that this party is still effectively tied to him, whether or not they even like want to be optically, mm-hmm. to the extent that they are, is that sort of like, you know, an anchor around their neck that they can't shake? I don't think it's do think? The, the weird thing is, I don't think it's a repudiation of Trump. It's a repudiation of the Republican Party. Hmm. Um, if, because if things trend this way, if let's things all trend say things this way. And repudiation yeah. is like a little overstating it. Correct. But the reality is, people don't like, we see this in the polls, where the country is going right now. But they don't trust Republicans to take the to take the wheel either. Right. Um, that's what I think. I think that's that was. It has, it has not. It's, it has nothing to. It is Trump, but it also isn't Trump. Well, let mm-hmm. me let me temper our uh, <laughs> uh, the positive new, vibes for Democrats with some new news out of Georgia, mm. which is that Herschel Walker is now taking the lead. There you go. Um, there you go. With sixty nine percent of votes in, he's at forty nine point six percent under the, just under that fifty percentage point mark. Raphael Warnock at 48.6%. So they must have gotten a big jump dump of some, you know, Republican area that's positive for them or day of voting or whatever. And now the New York Times, with their like needle situation, um, they actually have Walker as a 61% chance of winning in Georgia. Hmm. 
So they have Walker favored at this point. Now that doesn't say anything about whether it's going to go to the runoff, whatever, whatever. That's all. And, you know, 61% is not saying he's, it's a done deal. But that picture has just shifted significantly towards Republicans. Um, they have right now uh, Fetterman with a 53% chance of winning in Pennsylvania Senate. So that one is still just like, with the numbers we have in, nobody has any idea. How yeah. is it counted in Georgia? Like, so where's the next dump coming from? I'm, that I sounds no so idea. gross. It's a, mix, it's a mix <laughs> no and idea. match. Uh, it also depends on individual counties because sometimes individual counties won't be reporting at a big, I remember in 2020, we went through this with Fulton County and you know a bunch of these other places. So if it is really tight, it could still take a while but you know noteworthy Herschel Walker is pulling ahead though he's got yeah. you know at 50 percent now to full, now, yeah I'm, full 1% I'm trying to remember lead. if it was mm-hmm. mail-in yeah. election day more mail-in in in Georgia well if there's mail-in there's early vote county. and there's election day right right so, so in terms of Hassan in New Hampshire though I mean she looks pretty solid to hold on to that seat uh they have her with a 76 percent chance of winning mm. based on what is in so far okay. so you know the picture is still muddled. I think one thing we can say very clearly is the red tsunami did not materialize. Mm -hmm. Now, you could still end up with Republicans winning Georgia. You could still end up with Republicans winning Nevada. You could still end up with them winning Pennsylvania. You could still end up with them winning Arizona. And they would still look at that as that was a really good night for us. Well, it is a good night. Yeah. There's no so, question. So how right. many senators would that get them to? That's 54. That's no, so, oh, 54 is 53. like 54 is the top end of what I've right, read. So 53 to, 53 to 55. So if they won, and this is for David Shore's analysis on here, this is for David Shore's analysis, which is that if they get anywhere between 53 and 55, they have a probability actually of getting a filibuster-proof majority in 2024 in the event that Trump would win. So that's kind of interesting. Um, however, if we do come out at 51 or um, even at uh, 50, then that's a totally different story as to what exactly we can expect and whatnot. So. I don't know. It's it's really, really interesting to look at all this. Tim Alberta tweeting this. He's an analyst over at The Atlantic. Quote, this is not the red tsunami. In fact, it could be, could be the best midterm cycle for an incumbent president since the rally around the flag election since of 2002. Right. Which, if that's true, that would just be, Marshall, that would bust every narrative. That would, uh, but, that, but that would bust literally every narrative. Even our moderate red tsunami. Yeah, everything would just be, be like, okay. Sorry, that wouldn't take much, though, because I right. think the, like, all, all Biden would have to do is like lose, what, 20 seats in the House or something, or 30 seats, and he would still be the best, I think. Uh, compared to Bush. No, Bush you're, you're right. Yeah. You're right, which is that, and as many people are pointing out in the replies, they're like, yeah, that would help, though, because they've been waves every single time from right. 2004 yeah. to 2000 and, uh, or 2006 to consider that uh, uh, for everything. So anyway, uh, I think it is really interesting uh, to consider it all within that framework, Crystal. Uh, yeah. I have one more for you. Could I just throw this out here? Mm-hmm. Go, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Hochul in New York. Now, this Hochul versus Zeldin governor race in New York is a real race. There's been a lot of talk about that recently. Um, Hochul takes 75% of the early vote in New New York City. Um, That doesn't tell us much. (laughs) New York City is like, I'm surprised it's not 92% for uh, Hochul, but... um, I actually thought that said 75% of early vote in New York, which yeah. is why I presented it <laughs> right. to you. And as I read it, I said, oh, okay. New York City. City. Well, yeah. I'm wasting everybody's time. Uh, so Marshall, Kyle, we have Emily and Ryan on standby. Do you guys have final thoughts uh, before? We'll have a five-minute uh, period. We're just going to play some campaign ads that are closing for all of closing you while pitches. we get them 
all in here. And also, I need another liquid death to parch. <laughs> yeah. Murder my thirst. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Go ahead. They don't uh, pay us, by the way. They, yeah, by the way, us, they, they don't pay us. It's, they gave us some free liquid us. death, and I, I genuinely enjoy it. So, <laughs> thank you. Uh, two, two final thoughts. One, shout out to the viewer who called out uh, the Surface. We are oh. dozens of us. <laughs> But we, we are strong and we love okay. our Microsoft services. Two, though, on a serious <laughs> note, um, I think our early call that this wasn't a red wave mm. was kind of vindicated. Like, no matter what happens tonight, I, I think it was clear when we started this recording, I just didn't feel like you were going to have, like, this, tr like, transformation, like, red wave election that many people on Twitter, especially, have been tweeting around. Yeah. So that's, that's just going to be my, my, my main takeaway. It's okay. just not going to be... We are not going to talk about this, this election the way we talk about 2010 and 1994. Definitely. That is a really important not point. Not the shellacking just, yeah, that yes. Barack Obama got. Go yeah. Ahead, so um, the other day on my show, I, I made a similar argument that um, I want to just be wishy-washy and agnostic other than say, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's wait and, wait and see. And then part, mm -hmm. that's what we're doing here. But also at the same time, I said, if you had a gun to my head, I'd say 51 or 52 in the Senate for Republicans. And um, they'll pick up maybe 20. 25 seats uh, in the House, which puts it significantly below the 2010 um, red wave. So, and as of right now, it looks like that's what's panning out. Um, but it, you know, it ain't over till it's over, and um, it, it's very possible that that it looks that prediction looks good now. But it's very possible that mm. it it doesn't materialize. And again, I think the reason why this was such a difficult election to get to get uh, our finger on the pulse of is because. There's just so many complicating factors. The inflation thing, the crime thing. Yep. I mean, only 19% of the country thinks we're going on the right track. I mean, this mm -hmm. is something that it should have been a shellacking for the Democrats. But yeah. when you add in that 53% of the Republicans running deny the election, and you add in Trump still, I think, an anchor around their neck, uh, you add in Biden student loan debt reduction and, and Roe v. Wade being overturned, it's like, I don't fucking know what's gonna happen. We're all just waiting and, and watching. This is, I say this every time. This is why I love election night. I like to be humble, but beyond that, like I like to see what people think. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, it always surprises us, no matter what. And I think that has been vindicated tonight. Yep. Indeed. All right, all right guys. Okay, guys, gonna... thank you both so thank much. You. you both did a fantastic, fantastic job. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something, like the show's mission, or want to access our subscriber-exclusive Q&A, bonus episodes, and more, go to realignment.supercast.com and subscribe to our $5 a month, $50 a year, or $500 for a lifetime membership rates. See you all next time.